What's up, everyone? This week on the pod, we're going to do a deep dive into 1990s Youth Crew, one of my favorite like hardcore eras and genres of all time. It's something that I loved then, and I still love now, and I got some of my favorite people on to chat about it with me. Now, one of those dudes is Posse Chris, and uh, his band, Change, is doing a virtual record release show on October 8th, and... Uh, Chris, can you give some of the details on that? Yeah, thanks for having me on. Um, it's kind of a long story that goes back to early March, but uh, back in March, we were supposed to play our record release show, and we had three shows planned with Punitive Damage, Scal, and Berthold City up in the Northwest. And uh, we were supposed to get these 90 uh, records and, and uh, record release special covers. And they are, they arrived the day after the third show. So um, that got scratched, as happens a lot in hardcore. And then immediately after that, COVID hit. And, you know, the reality, as everyone knows now, is, you know, we're, we weren't going to be playing a record release show anytime soon. So, you know, we've, we've been kind of thinking for a while about what we could do with these 90 records. Um, it's a really cool cover. It's, it's a tribute to Ron Brotherhood, who passed away last year so we had these these 90 covers they were really cool uh ron brotherhood tribute cover sadly ron uh as many of you know passed away uh about a year ago from cancer and you know we we just kind of wanted to you know set a little love up to him as as someone who was so important so crucial for this seattle scene and the northwest as a whole um so we have these these covers and you know we we wanted we've been wanting to do something for a while uh, with them. Um, and we knew that if we couldn't play a show that, you know, we want to do something special with the records. So we've been brainstorming for a while and kind of settled on the idea of, of just selling them, uh, you know, online, doing an online record release and then taking all that money and donating it to a nonprofit. So we, we kind of looked at a few different causes and, then narrowed down to a few organizations and ultimately we settled, settled on a really cool uh, nonprofit called coalition to stop violence against native women, uh, which is an indigenous indigenous run nonprofit that focuses on, on stopping violence against, against native women and children. They deal with things like, um, you know, domestic abuse, uh, sexual abuse, human trafficking. They do a lot of really important work. So we're, we're super excited to, you know, basically take all the efforts of this record release and point it to an awesome cause. Um, the other kind of unique thing too is rather than, you know, let's face it, like changes a modern youth crew band and no one wants to see a youth crew band without, without a crowd. <laughs> uh, so, you know, rather than streaming a live set, what we're going to do is we're working with the organization to actually do like uh, a live streamed uh, educational event. So um, what it will look like is on October 8th at 3 p.m. Pacific, uh, 6 p.m. Eastern, you go to this page where you would, you know, pre-order a record on Death Wish. And basically when you log on to, to buy the record, there will be an embedded youtube live video there and uh people can tune in and and learn about the awesome work that this organization does and uh you know why why their work is so important 
Um, so there, there'll, there'll be a few other things too that people can check out. We'll have a donate button. Um, we're, we're pulling together some raffle ideas that I think will be really excited. So, um, yeah, I'm just really kind of pumped to do it. And Chris, where do they find this? Yeah. So, um, you, you can go to change hardcore on Instagram, uh, change NWHC on Twitter. Um, or you can just go to the death wish page, basically where it's going to live at is if you go to death wish and then go to like the change merch page, that's where everything will live at. All right. So we're all going to check that out. Go ahead. Yep. October 8th at 3 PM Pacific. Yeah. October 8th, 3 PM Pacific. Go to that death wish Inc page and, uh, and follow change on social media. Um, but also what you got to do is you got to subscribe to this fucking podcast. So handle business, smash that subscribe button, tell your friends to subscribe to it and uh, spread the word that is much appreciated. Also, if you have the time, give it a like rate it, review it, whatever you can do. If you want to go the extra mile, go to patreoncom slash 185 miles South, become a monthly Patreon. These are the people that keep the podcast alive. They are my personal heroes. They donate a uh, dollar or more every month and they really keep this thing going. Uh, try to do an extra Patreon podcast for basically every person that gets interviewed. So there'll be an interview and then uh, that week there'll be a podcast where I have some buddies on and we talk about that podcast. We talk about the discography of whoever I interviewed and these are some of my favorite podcasts that I've done. Uh, not just that I think that is some of the best output, but it's some of the most fun for me. So I'm not a total grump, which is nice for some people. And, uh, that's that. So everyone check out change October 8th at 3 PM Pacific standard time. Go to the death wish Inc page and figure that out. Also subscribe to this shit and let's get on with the pod. It's three fucking hours of nineties youth crew. Buckle up. Hundred eighty-five miles south, a hardcore punk rock podcast. What's up, everyone? This week on the pod, we are talking nineteen nineties youth crew. Where the fuck is this conversation going to go? Who knows? But anyway, joining me, you know him. You boogie to him every Friday at 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on Instagram, Southpaw Instagrammer, Daniel Sant. What's going on, Daniel? What's up? What's up? What's up? Also helping us out. He's the man almost as nice as Andy Diehard. It's Posse Chris of Champion and Change. Ha <laughs> Thanks for having me. And uh, you know him. You tolerate him. It's Bedge. <laughs> <laughs> what up he, he's walking What's his own on? he's walking his own path baby uh yeah so thanks <laughs> like guys it. for uh joining me and uh you know i gotta have three straight edge dudes on here to talk this subject so thank you for your help um i do want to say we are going to try to focus on 90s youth crew that basically is tying their direct influence to like that classic rev shit right so it's like they're drawing the influence of 
bold, youth of the day, chain of strength, like that ilk. So we're not going to talk about Ignite, like who was, you know, maybe my favorite band of the 90s or Powerhouse, like these bands. They were doing like straightforward hardcore, but we can say that like maybe Ignite was, they were drawn from a sound like pre-youth crew, right? Like they're more uniform choice than they are chain of strength. Um, you know, and Powerhouse is more like maybe pulling from like that early sick of it all than they are pulling from like bold, right? So we're leaning youth crew. Um, so yeah, that's that. Daniel, you kind of, you described it in a certain way, right? Like the, we're talking about youth crew, not the bands that were like fighting back like the giant metal curtain or something. Yeah, well, you know, if you think about this on a linear timeline, there is a certain part of time that everyone who's, you know, studied or enjoyed hardcore for a long period of time has known as youth crew revival. And what we're doing is we're not tapping onto the bands that were doing their own thing against the popularity of metal. You know, like they were like forging their own paths, following the sick of it all, et cetera, like the ensigns and things like that. But we're not talking about the bands that we are going to try and get into the bands that aesthetically, like looks wise, everything, artwork, sound really brought back a period that was only probably like six years before this happening but pre-internet six years felt like 25 years because literally you were just learning stories of shows and records and things that you may not have been able to get your hands on from the elders in your scene telling you oh when judge and youth of today came through oh my god you should have been you know those are the gems that you were picking up if you got into hardcore like myself in 1992 you, you know there were only a few straightforward hardcore bands at the time going against a highly uh widespread metallic attack right and which i which i loved as well sure i mean we all love that stuff as well but yeah this this is some of my favorite stuff and and i think what what we're going to do is a lot of the best stuff of this genre like it really gets going in 95 96 but it's interesting to look at those early years so you know if you think about 91 is kind of like the end of everything, right? Like chain breaks up instead breaks up, you know, youth today, they break up in 90 or 91, like, but basically uh, 89, 89, one of their million breakups. <laughs> okay. But anyway, <laughs> the point is like all those like crucial temple bands are basically gone. And like this sound is, you know, a hardcore sound is changing. Like I think bed, you put you, you said it perfectly on, on a recent pod that we did, when uh, we were mentioning Billingsgate and you're like, here's a band that has like no metal anywhere, like in the influence or the sound. And it's still like creeping into that LP, like just the early nineties, like it's there. Integrity changes everything. Right. Daniel. Yeah. I mean, it's like a atom bomb across hardcore, you know? Yeah. Because they're, they're still championing, you know, the youth crew bands and the youth crew like mentality, but they are bringing an evil metallic attack to hardcore. That is highly influential. Sure. So just before we get started yeah. here, um, before we jump into 91, uh, Chris, do you have anything you want to say before we start uh, trudging through this exercise? Nah, let's do it. All right. 
Ed, you got anything? I was going to say the the whole integrity thing in the ni- early nineties that would eventually spawn like, well, you get Earth Crisis a little bit later than that, not much later, but like that's kind of like the second coming of metal in the hardcore scene because like in the mid eighties you have like DYS and SSD going metal, and a lot of those but going like butt rock more than yeah. Like, but you also have you also have COC going and DRI going like thrash metal. Yeah. So it's really there's really like three strains of metal like infiltrating hardcore. Like hardcore is just getting pummeled. And I think of I think of the hardcore scene as an Olympic sized swimming pool with four lanes. And at Youth Crew's peak in the '90s, that's pro- you. It's probably taking up one lane of that four lane. Um, swimming pool max you know what I mean like it's still like vast majority like metallic hardcore dominated just hardcore the hardcore scene as a whole a lot of crossover so like if if the goal was to destroy was to you know take back hardcore from metal it didn't accomplish that but at least it gave us people who were more into the youth crew type stuff something to be into well, I well, think, I, I think is- that if you if you look at the merit like of what came out of it, it at least like champions fast music, and that like never went away again because a lot of like the metal stuff in the '90s is not fast, or like some bands when they try to go fast, it's like terrible, right? And like you know, Terror starts in '02. They're a fast band. They're one of the most popular hardcore bands there's been. You know, it like having fast, good songs like that never goes away again. Like it never backtracks like to being like slow, kind of boring, trotting metal. Daniel? Good point. Well, I feel, I feel there's, there's waves of, of trends and, you know, people influenced by other things. But I also think there's just, outliers that are doing things just writing music and what comes out comes out you know what we're going to look at is uh especially when we get to like 95 96 we're looking at the the people that were around in 89 that loved this and almost were fed up with what the majority of hardcore was and actively attempted to bring back an aesthetic that they absolutely loved. Like they actively went after a sound, a look, a uh, artwork style and merch style, everything was to bring back, um, you know, something that happened six, seven years ago that they absolutely loved. And, and that's where you can say it was pushing, fighting against the, metallic wall or wave you know i think in addition to like the the more metal core stuff too i think it's worth noting like the ebullition style stuff and kind of the more like spastic uh you know ancestors of of maybe what could be screamo nowadays um because i think that was like a totally different thing from like you know the integrity side and in fact Oh yeah, like quite the opposite. Life. You know, a lot of a lot of that crowd 
was very kind of anti-moshing and anti, you know, it was not, I mean, this is before my time, but it's not unheard of to hear stories about people like sitting down in the, in the bands playing to, you know, boycott the mosh and. Without a doubt, that was a huge thing. And, uh, emotional hardcore was, at its height in the in the ninety one through ninety five, um, following on like Fugazi, etc. Uh, those were times where stage diving, youth crew jumps, etc., were looked down on as being meathead and moronic. And I got to read this if Zach will allow me this amazing quote <laughs> from from Anthony Papalardo from the from Tony Redman's Straight Edge book. Um, he says, he says, cause this is exactly what we're talking about. He says by 1994 in Boston, this is the Anthony Popolaro from tenure fighting in my eyes. By 1994 in Boston, you had these options. Go see New York bands like black train, Jack and sick of it all in a club for the quote unquote astronomical amount of $12 Two, you could go see a post hardcore band in a venue where you could, you couldn't stage dive or you could go to shows put on by, by a quote-unquote collective called the Treehouse, where the singer of Three Studies for a Crucifixion might cry if someone asked the score of a Red Sox game while he was talking about what dies to avoid in your clothing. That last one actually happened, by the way. We weren't against the changes, but we also really like hardcore to be interactive, not a fucking jazz concert. Yeah, they were ready for yeah. Blood for Blood. <laughs> but that's what I'm saying is that there were people that had been had put in lots of time in their scenes and lived through a thing and some people who come into a scene where they'd been turned on to records from 89 etc 88 87 and that's the stuff they loved way more than what was going on so you know at the time it was a mission statement do you know what I mean? To do something like that and to push against what was seen as the norm at the time, which was telling them, you know, because San Diego was late into this, like moshing was looked down on in SD for all the way to like, probably like 98, 99 for real, you know? Um, so, I mean, upfront sing along stage dives and stuff were fine, but with, like when people started really, really mushing hard, it was like that doesn't belong here. <laughs> it was weird, you know. Shout out Forced Life. Okay, let's go yep. to uh, 19, exactly. Let's go to nineteen ninety one. I picked three notable seven inches that come out this year: uh, the mouthpiece self titled seven inch, the battery self titled seven inch. Uh, I should say the mouthpiece on New Age the battery self-titled seven inch on deadlock and the onward seven inch on crucial response. Um, also this year, you have the man lifting banner, the myth of freedom, seven inch also on crucial response. Um, I don't think they fall as much into the youth crew stuff. Um, maybe a little more, I hate to say like dag nasty ish, but maybe a little more like influence of that shit, that stuff, um, which we love. But anyway, um, this battery seven inch fucking rips. Um, I, I ride for until the end. It's one of my favorite albums of all time, but 
but revisiting this thing, I was like, oh my God, how are they out the gate so fucking good? Um, the mouthpiece seven inch is pretty legendary. They get a lot of accolades for being like one of the only bands of this time, like keeping the sound alive and playing shows and so forth. Um, so I think it's notable in that aspect. The Onward I'd never even heard before, and it was pretty fucking good. And I don't know anything about that band, so I apologize. I can't speak on them. But it is 91. It's in this style, and it's pretty rad. It's Crucial Response, which is like one of the most crucial labels of the late 90s as well. Um, Bedge, let's go to you. Uh, what's your opinion on this stuff in 1991? Um, I just recently heard an interview with Brian McTernan from battery and he talked about how he was 13 years old and he would just hang out with those guys and they couldn't get someone to sing on the record. Like I can't remember if the singer didn't show up or they just couldn't find a singer. And the, and the engineer just was just like, you sing on this because Brian had written words to the stuff and they didn't take him seriously. He was just this 13 year old kid who was hanging out with them when they practiced. And he would just sing covers like just for fun at the end of their band practice. Um, and so when they're in the studio, he, he lays down vocals as like kind of scratch vocals, like until we find a real singer. And then they were just like, fuck it. This sounds really good. Let's put it out. So Brian was Brian's like a year and a half older than I am, which just trips me out. He was like 13 when, when he recorded this and like, you know, he's got a high voice, like a 13, 13 year old kid, but it's not like it, it's not like little, it doesn't remind me of like little kid, like punk. I mean, I guess cause the, the, everyone else playing are probably in their late teens at that point, but yeah, it's just, it's just raging. And what's funny is like, you know, we're talking about bands reacting to metal. This band, basically Brian, you know, he, he forms ashes in that inter in that like 92 to 94 interim. And this band basically becomes Worlds Collide, which are pretty metallic sounding. You know, this early version of Battery with a different singer becomes Worlds Collide, maybe with a few lineup changes. So it's kind of funny that like you just do a couple tweaks here and there to the sound and you're, and you're, and you're at metal or metallic hardcore or whatever. But this is a great record. Um, and it's just like hard cover too. Yeah, oh, with the wolf. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's like a wolf on the cover of it. Yeah, can never I, go wrong with. The I wolf. knew it. Yeah, and like battery kind of goes away. I mean, we'll get to it, but like, like I said, Brian starts Ashes, which is just like female fronted kind of emo core band, which I love. And they're like the one band that's not on Spotify that I, if I could snap my fingers and put them on Spotify, it would be them. But like, um, they kind of battery resurrects sometime in the mid nineties and then becomes the battery. We all came to know and see in the, in the late nineties towards Europe and all that. But this is this kind of just weird outlier early hardcore, um, you know, revival record. Yeah. Cause even the battery sound and, changes like the first LP is more like not straightforward. Hardcore. It's like a little more mid tempo and, and not as good. I don't think. That's why, like, revisiting the 7-inch is just like, holy cow, this thing rips, you know? But Yeah, totally. Just something there. Chris, what do you have on this stuff? Uh, the mouthpiece 7-inch, I think, I, 
I really just want to call out the song "Can We Can We Win" because that was on this first seven inch and probably remained, you know, one of the biggest hits for for years and years and years. Um, I listened to it yesterday and it's still awesome. I think there's a couple parts that sound a little bit I don't want to say dated, but like there's a couple like pause parts and stuff that are uh, not as it kind of takes away from the aggressiveness a little a little bit, but still banging song and if i saw it today i'd still want to sing along yeah this, it's very this, catchy the seven inch is a little more brooding you know it, it's like it it does have its straightforward hardcore moments but it is of the time and kind of of the new age sound like i didn't include outspoken mm-hmm. on this list they would outspoken would be like one of the bands not playing metal they're playing like a different version of hardcore that's not like steeped in this um mm-hmm. And Mouthpiece kind of has that same, like, a little bit of a darker vibe of, like, Youth Crew that I think really, like, comes out in this 7-inch as well as, like, the LP, even though the LP is, like, more straightforward. But, well, uh, for sure. What I would say is that the Mouthpiece is... Mouthpiece and Outspoken, for that matter, are both aesthetically playing, pulling on the... Um, the stuff of youth crew that they absolutely loved, but sonically they're both post the two pillars that we always talk about: the burn seven inch and the inside out seven inch. So they're taking what would be considered youth crew hardcore influences, mixing it with those kind of influences, and doing these kind of darker, more drawn out, longer songs. Uh, messing with the instrument in instrumentation a bit, but then also um, really making sure that there are still youth crew backups and uh, sing-along parts, but on moody sounding songs. Yeah. Moody might be the right totally. word. Moody might be the right word. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Um, Can we win reminds me of um, um, oh, it's a judge song. Give it up. And frame reminds me of just how much by chain of strengths, because it's got the the same chord progression at the beginning of the song. And and Tim describes mouthpieces kind of like I think chain of strength is what they were going for more than anything. And it's like an like a simplified slowed down version of chain of strength like the drum the drumming is more more rudimentary and i think that's the biggest musically speaking the biggest criticism of mouthpiece is the drumming because it's kind of like a cheat beat but i don't know why and battery maybe not on the first seven inch but battery like by the first lp they they do a cheat beat too and I love the mouthpiece cheat beat, but the battery cheat beat and noise, it, like it irks me because it sounds like he's pl- they're pl- he's playing the beat backwards. You know, it's like it's like bass drum, snare, snare, bass drum, but then you kind of like start hearing it with the snare first, and it's like, whoa, is this going backwards? But I always love Jason Jammer's like it's like a ultra simplified youth true beat. Well, the, the mouthpiece one is weird, right? Because, yeah, they do draw so much off Chain of Strength. And, you know, Chain of Strength has argu- arguably, like, the greatest drummer in hardcore history on those seven inches, you know? 
and mouthpiece might have the worst drummer. Um, <laughs> you know, like is their cheat beat is pretty rough. Like it's not like, Oh, we'll get to the worst. We'll get to the worst drummer a little bit later. <laughs> okay. Um, but yeah, their, their cheat beat is like, it's not the scissor beat and it's not like the battery beat. What they're doing is they're just not doing double time. So he's just doing like one on the hi-hat. Um, but he's still doing like that straight normal do that, la do that, la do that. But it's just not double time on the hi-hat. But the, the mouthpiece cheat is, is a little rough. Um, anyway, that's it's, mi- it's missing a bass drum hit. It's missing a bass drum hit. Instead of going, it's going, it's missing, you know, one of those right foot pedal hits <laughs> on and each show measure. And I think he's still doing like the scissor beat on the hi hat snare. Like he's not playing double time. Okay. Um, right. It's, it's something that's for sure. Um, so that's 91. And uh, that's really notable because I was only able to pluck three. And everyone, you can email me and let me know what I left off, and I'll read them. Um, but yeah, to 92, 92 is also pretty grim. Like, this era is just... Well, I mean, I wasn't able to pluck that much, and, and you're going to see, because when we get like late in the 90s, there's a plethora of this stuff. So in 92, I pulled out the Upfront Changes 7-inch on Striving for Togetherness, the Spirit of Youth, the Abyss 7-inch on Crucial Response, the man lifting banner 10 inches that shook the world 10 inch on crucial response. And the only record that I think falls into this is that spirit of youth, the abyss. And again, I'd, I'd never heard this. It's early nineties, uh, Euro hardcore. And I was, I was pretty surprised by how awesome I thought this was pretty intense. And they do the style really well. Were you guys able to listen to this? I go ahead, Chris. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, like, I wasn't even able to track this down. Um, you know, I went back and listened to some of their later stuff, uh, like the split they did with One King Down. Um, and, you know, so I haven't heard this Abyss 7-inch. I don't know what it sounds like, but like some of the later stuff, like that split with One King Down, is a lot more metal influence, which is kind of interesting. I mean, it's still hardcore. It's still, you know, it's still got fast parts, but it's, you know, I think it has more in common with, a, like, a band like one King down than a band like, you know, youth of today. Got you. Uh, Bedger Daniel, were you able to track this down? No, I just remember hearing it back then. Um, and liking it at the time it was on a, a mix of, I had, uh, something like seven, seven inches on one two sided tape that I, uh, had, but I didn't have it like, that year I had it, you know, in like 95 having some of that, uh, Euro stuff all on one tape. Yeah. Crucial response. They have a band camp page set up and a lot of these seven inches that are kind of hard to find, they'll have like a song from it. So it's pretty cool. Everyone should go check that out. Um, yeah. Anything else on this stuff from 92 guys, or should we move on to 93? I wanted to talk a little about Europe, Europe in general. Um, well, we, got, we got more like of that to come, uh, like some of the ones where it's very much uh, the, you know, it, they very much came back across the Atlantic for people over here buying. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll we'll talk about like the main crucial response uh, stuff that comes out in the late nineties later. But we should mention 
that it is notable that they have bands kind of doing this style. And uh, Ben, you actually had an interesting theory on it that it's not like a revival. It's actually just that it's a little bit late. Yeah, and I, I actually I, I brushed up on the, the, the European straight edge chapter in that, in that Tony Batman book. And, and basically what it says is like there was a straight edge scene in Europe before Youth of Today gets there in early 89, but it's, it's few and far between. You know, it's really spread out. And Belgium is the only uh, country that has like a strong pre-existing straight edge scene. And then Youth of Today gets there in early 89 and it's like it explodes the way it explodes in the u.s when youth of today tours uh the country in early 86 so there are i mean uh peter from crucial response he was into all this straight edge shit going back to like maybe the mid 80s you know before well well before uh youth of today shows up in europe but but it does explode with Youth of Today, and then Gorilla Biscuits that same year. Uh, and I remember t- um, every every uh, house we stayed at in Europe um, when I was there with Amendment 18 in 2003. I mean, I'm saying every place we stayed had a framed Gorilla Biscuits. We buy a poster. A Gorilla Biscuits European Tour 89, European Tour 91, or Youth of Today Tour 89 framed in the living room like these were people that saw these two bands back then you know we're talking whatever 14 years earlier and and it and it changed their lives and and it was like wow can you imagine the impact that these bands had on on this place so then of course crucial response starts putting out records right away when when's the first crucial response record like like late 80s it's definitely in the 80s um, and, and I think a lot of the, those early bands like Manlifting Banner, who have a, uh, there's like outspoken communist uh, bent to it. Like they're, they're like left wing straight edge bands, which you don't see that much of in the U S um, were really influenced by this band Larm, or I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, but they, Larm goes back to like 84, maybe even earlier than that. So they they just had a different take on it. And, and I think by like the late nineties, the crucial response, you see very much like straight up American, like clones of American apolitical youth crew bands, you know, like tie break. It doesn't, isn't, isn't telling you to be a communist, but we'll get to that. Yeah. Just, it's interesting. We can take it in in 93. Um, Cause again, there's not that much stuff. What I, what I highlighted was, uh, the Battery We Won't Fall CDEP on Lost and Found. Ignite puts out their demo. Um, and then Standoff does Worthless is the Unity Bought at the Expense of the Truth. Also on Crucial Response. And, uh, you know, the, the importance of Europe in these years uh, cannot be understated because bands like Battery and Ignite were basically able to, like, go over there and have successful tours before they were able to break in the United States. Cause you know, this style of, of the faster, like throwback hardcore is not super popular in 93, you know, but they can go and play Europe and do pretty well. Um, 
So I just I highlighted the Ignite demo, even though we're not going to get into that stuff. And then battery, this early stuff we spoke on a little bit. Manlift and banner we've spoke on a little bit. Um, anything you guys want to say on this stuff before we jump to 94? Nah. I just wanted to say something about Tim, Tim McMahon. He's the Tim McMahon is to youth crew what you, Zach, are to Nardcore. He's like the kind of like the guardian of the history of the legacy of that, of that whole scene. And, and when Mouthpiece starts there, they start as this band called Control in like late 89 and they're like 14 year old kids. And so they're not really intentionally trying to bring back a dead genre. They're just trying to play the dominant genre. And then finally, when they're good enough to like play, play shows and like put out a seven inch, they witness the scene around them collapse. Like it's just like bad timing on their part. So they kind of, and then they decide we're not going to change. This is the kind of music we want to play anyway. And then they sort of become the de facto, uh, you know, guardians of, of that whole, you know, rev sound through through this like really lean period of the early 90s uh we got to say that 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 would be episode one the legend joe revis not me bedge but i appreciate the sentiment well joe Joe revis has the knowledge but you are setting up the uh the ability for people to hear about these things through this pod and i understand what ben's saying whereas like double cross uh fanzine slash website lovingly done by tim and uh you know and the whole that whole aesthetic that lives within those dudes like they yeah have curated and loved this forever and have made made sure it never died out for sure and then here in 90- and really aesthetically too yeah in 94 we get mouthpieces the big boy the what was said LP new age records. And also uh, there's some other stuff as well. So we have half mast putting out two seven inches, the influence seven inch and the together seven inch, both on third party records. Um, Cornerstone does their demo. The truth hurts demo happened yesterday records. Uh, the fast break demo. If this year isn't wrong, um, cause that just seems so early, but we got the fast break demo, the youth pride demo on standard ground records. Battery, Let the Past Go, CDEP, Lost and Found. Up front, does the What Fire Does 7-inch, Smorgasbord. Ignite, they do two 7-inches, uh, the In My Time 7-inch on Lost and Found. That's the first one of Zoli. So that one came after this one, which is the Where They Talk 7-inch, uh, self-released on their Ringside Records. Um, so yeah, 94, again, this is like Battery and Ignite are doing their stuff. They're playing Europe. You know, nice playing good tours right away over there, finding success. And and without some of that, I wonder I wonder if they would have lasted long enough, you know, for a for a Zach in nineteen ninety six to like discover them and really get into this music. You know, so like maybe that's some of the importance of Europe. Like if Ignite comes out in ninety three, ninety four and they're just playing, you know, decent shows across the United States, like do they last? Do they get to like the next level? Who knows? Um, I think batteries tour in Europe with Unbroken. Oh yeah, time. yeah, that's true. Because Life, Love, Regret also I'm, comes out in '94. Yep. Another thing that's worth calling out about like some of these European labels is is not only did bands like Battery and Ignite and and those types of bands were they able to 
to have a place to tour in Europe. But like some of these labels, uh, you know, Crucial Response, Lost and Found, like Commitment Records a little bit later on, like a lot of these European labels actually had somehow better distribution across the States than a lot of US labels even did. So like, you know, up in Seattle, I was able to get, you know, whatever Crucial Response record I wanted, whatever, um, you know, Commitment Records uh, band I wanted to get, like there's just scores of it and scores of it. And, you know, that kind of helped me feed like this appetite for fast hardcore. And then with Lost and Found, I mean, one of the first, you know, one of the early records that I got was the uh, Ignite in my time. I think it was in my time CD EP that Lost and Found put out. And Chris, yeah. you know who you know who Commitment and Crucial Responses U.S. distributor was. This is kind of ironic. It was Ebullition. So, so, so like this, lab, you know, Ebullition was known for this, uh, you know, all this, a lot of the stuff that these bands were kind of a reaction well the u.s version of these bands were where it was a reaction to but kent was the guy who who had those those records uh, well i know, will, being distributed in the u.s what i can say about those um bands that or those labels that i think the whole thing about diy in europe is it was much more organized uh at, and touching on what you were saying about you know politically driven European bands. I mean, the squats and the uh, spaces that lots of these shows were happening in all across Europe were all politically driven Che Cafe-esque places that labels and stuff were sprouting up out of. And it was like almost like political action to get this kind of stuff out. And I think that's why uh, those things were so well planned and uh, not really sat on, whereas like some some of their contemporaries in America were a bit more lazy and and didn't quite uh, dot all the I's and cross all the T's, you know. Well, also, right. also and, America is huge, right? Yeah. Like it's it's hard to tour because it's so fucking big, and like my mind has been blown, you know, interviewing like Andrew Klein and Mike Hartsfield, like with them talking about like. Oh yeah, we drove to the East Coast to play four shows and then drove home. You know, like that just seems insane. Like, can you imagine if, like, plop the United States on top of Europe, and like, what is that? Like, <laughs> it's like you're driving from where to where. That's just is totally insane. Um, let me driving to to Russia. Right, exactly. Let me from fin- Russia. Yeah. Let me finish with '94 though, because uh, I got confused. So also in '94 we got the '97 eight demo comes out. Um. This year seems totally wrong, so someone email me if it is wrong. But the Rancor demo is listed as 94, which seems insane because the 7-inch comes out in 97, and it's like almost all the same songs. Um, it's 96. It's got to be 96. Yeah, it's got to yeah, be wrong. Yeah, I got wrong. it 96. It's got to be wrong, that 94, so scratch that. Um, also, Plagued with, Rage, Plagued with Rage does their demo, and also the I Won't, the I Won't Forget 7-inch. Also, Vision in the Blink of an ILP, Nemesis Records. Shout out, Big Frank. And uh, I also listed the Against All Hope Drywall 7-inch, New Direction Records. Uh, shout out, Larry, I believe, right? Isn't he New Direction? Yes. Okay. Larry Ransom. Got it right. So, yeah. I love that 7-inch. 94, like, this stuff is is starting to pop now. 
you know, you you got Ignite doing like seven inches. You got Cornerstone starting Connecticut. You got Buffalo starting to pop. Half Mass plays with Rage. You got 97A uh, doing a demo. And uh, Chris would go on and do Teamwork Records very shortly. Um, you know, Upfront's still sticking around. Like their sound is changing, but they are like a, a late 80s band that like they're still doing stuff. Um, yeah, Morgan Sport Records, keeping it real. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. so rad. So X rad. marks the spot. Um, Hell yeah. Um, but yeah, 94, like things are picking up. There's a lot of stuff here. Um, Chris, you want to... Wait, Vision, Vision shouldn't be on there. Vision, that's 89. In the blink of an eye? Oh, I have the yeah, wrong... That's, that's, I, have, uh, I have a re-release. You're right, you're right, you're right, you're right. Uh, yeah, go to the Big Frank pod when I get the year right on that. Um. Anyway... Look, dude, try to make a list this big. You're going to fuck up sometimes. And, uh, <laughs> hey, man, I'm just, it's all good. No, nah, I know. It's better to get corrected now than later. Your fact, your fact checker should have got. <laughs> I know. You could have told me before we started the pod. Anyway, um, Ben, what do you have on this stuff? Uh, for 94, I really like that Against All Hope 7 inch. Um, Love it. Yeah, I, it's not, I, I wouldn't say it falls squarely within youth crew, but it's definitely like traditional fast, non non-metallic hardcore. Um, I, I have trouble kind of comparing it to anyone specifically. What, Chris, how would you describe against all hope to someone who's never heard it? I mean, I, I think it's, it remind it doesn't sound like, but it reminds me of, uh, of like a dag nasty, um, the drums, they're a lot more uh, aggressive, though. Like, So that's what makes it really weird, because like, the guitars and like the melodies and the guitars and like the way the guy sings is definitely more, uh, you know, Dag Nasty, maybe even a little bit of Vision, but the, the, the drums are just like super aggressive and like, I, th- I want to say even has like double bass. Right, yeah. yeah. Um, and then... Um... I was going to say the 97A bit. Um, I think they're more aesthetically a youth crew band, but they're, they're stylistically, I mean, musically, they are more of a fast core band, like just scissor beats For the sure. whole way through, isn't it? They don't have like mosh yeah. parts or mid-tempo songs or anything. It's just ticket, 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 ticket the whole way through, like every song. Am I right? Yeah, it's like raging fast hardcore. I mean, they, yeah. they have like breakdowns. Well, I mean, yeah, they have breakdowns on the 7-inch and the LP. Right, I don't know about this demo, but okay. it's, it's more yeah, so notable some. because it's Chris from uh, he's doing teamwork, right? Yeah, he does teamwork records, which is kind of weird if you think about it. Like his own band doesn't sound like that, but he's putting all his eggs in that youth crew basket. You know, he, he you would think he would put out more bands that sound like that scissor beat fast core stuff that ninety seven A is. Yeah, but he probably but, doesn't want to have bands that are better than his. Oh, hey, oh. So, yeah. no, I mean, so it's like if he's in that lane, you know, like, oh, they're the fast band on the label, you know, like they're not getting like mopped up by like some deep six shit, you know? I mean, I'm sure really just fast hardcore in general across the board, as we've discussed beyond just the youth crew stuff, like fast hardcore is, you know it's it's not a huge thing at this time so i'm sure there was a kinship with anyone that played you know fat like 
more traditional hardcore, whether it be, you know, influenced by Born Against or by Youth Today. Yeah, another really big band that has nothing to do with like the youth crew straight edge scene that's playing super fast hardcore all throughout this time period is Crudos, Los Crudos. Um, so, I mean, that's happening and they're influencing a lot of people uh, in in their own respective scene. But yeah, um, 97, they definitely sound more like Crudos than they do uh, mm-hmm. youth of today. Yeah, but sure, they also right. sound like SSD to an extent as well, though, you know, mm-hmm. uh, the faster parts of the first uh, SSD album, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. And then it's it's uh, third party records, which is the singer of Half Mass label. Um, they had a straight edge band only policy. And I only know of an, one other record label, which is Commitment Records from the from Europe, that you you had to be a straight edge band in order to be on those la- those two record labels, which is okay. just like, sounds good. Now, now that's putting your foot down. Woo. <laughs> yeah. And what do you do with all that back stock when like inevitably the bass player breaks edge three, three months later? Yeah. Uh, good, good question. You just have to be straight edge. Like at the time of the recording or like, what if you've broke edge <laughs> by like the time you get the records from the plant, you know, I don't know. Ask change. Oh, all good questions. <laughs> oh, chain. Yeah, I don't think so. I think those I'm guys kidding. Were, uh, I'm kidding. Okay. I'm kidding. Frosty. Don't, I can almost. I can almost see Frosty's house from my window right now because he lives in my neighborhood, and it's like, like nah, I'm, I've got to, you know, I've got my boys back. Well, he was always my favorite member, just because he only drinks when he's thirsty. But uh, Ryan Hoffman was so nice. <laughs> Ryan Hoffman was so nice on the pod that now I, I'm on. I'm on Team Hoffman on that chain train. But uh, okay. I'm, I'm Team Brown. Hell yeah! And Chris is Team Kurt because he loves his politics. <laughs> <laughs> Who me? <laughs> Keep it posy, bro. Um, yeah, ninety four, nah. ninety four is sick. I I think that the the half mass together seven inch is a rager. Um, and it's crazy because you know it's nine, They're both ninety four, and I think that together seven inch is significantly better than the influence seven inch. It just is faster and more raging. Um, but I do think that of, of this year, the notable is that the mouthpiece LP, um, this is a, a pretty timeless hardcore record. And regardless of, you know, your opinion about it, it is like a tentpole hardcore record of an extremely influential band. Um, and this is one of those, those great tentpole nineties, new age hardcore records. Um, I like it. I still have it. Do you guys all have it? Mm-hmm. Hell yeah. See, four for four, dude. You know, shit. Yeah, it's sick. Um, I, I think it's kid any. It's a little boring, but I still love it for what it is. Dude, when he starts like yelling, "What remains?" You're fucking fired up. What remains? More than words. Like great fucking voice. And it's like, it's almost like that exclusively, I think, that like gets the chain comparison. Cause he is like that part of that song, he's fucking belting, kind of like a prime Kurt, you know? Well, that song is based on, on Impact, which, you know, by the time we didn't Mouth know Beast, at the time, yeah. Right, exactly. Mouthpiece, that's be a Imp- deep cutter. Impact was just, was just an intro that they would play. Um, to opening their open their sets 
and then it wasn't even called Impact, or I don't even know. But they they didn't lay down vocals and write lyrics to it until they did the discography in '95. You know, after this mouthpiece album came out. Yeah. So it's one of those things where it's like, and it was an unreleased track. So it's like, oops, <laughs> like time flies does that later. They did they did like a live Turning Point song uh, as as like a studio like what is it the the first song on the Time Flies LP is based on a live Turning Point song, and then Turning Point puts out their discography with that song on it. Oops. Yeah, that song, that Time Flies song rips, though. It's so good. Bass intro. But yeah. how many of you guys saw Mouthpiece the first time around? You know, 90 to 96 era Mouthpiece. I did. You did? Where'd you see them? I did. Uh, okay. Uh, I saw them in Orange County. I can't remember what venue. Ice House, probably. Yeah, I think with, um, what's their name? Uh, mean Season. Right. How about you, Chris? Seattle, somewhere. Uh, I'll share mine when we get to the next record. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Well, we, we can jump I right. I love the next record. Okay, we can jump right to it, because that's 1995. Uh, I'm going to hit a couple things here real quick, though. Ooh. In 94, if that's cool. Do it. Do it. Um, ben already touched on Against All Hope, but like, I just want to reiterate, uh, I went through like a bunch of my old records the other day and listened to that one. And that one, more than almost any of the other records that I listened to, uh, really kind of surprised me how good it still is. And uh, so just recommend everyone try to check it out it's not you can't find it on spotify but you can find it on youtube um so the drywall seven inch uh the lyrics are really cool too like it's uh i don't know how old this dude was when he wrote this but i mean there's a lot of kind of introspective you know mature lyrics about kind of you know growing older and and learning learning life lessons (laughs) um so I don't know. It's, it's just pretty deep. So I don't know, you know, a lot of the the bands that are playing this style of music uh, or, you know, the style of music that we're talking about today. Um, you know, a lot of them have really good lyrics, but I think Against All Hope is one of them where uh, they really stand out to me. Uh, and the other thing I want to call out was Played With Rage. The I won't forget Seven Inch. I love it still. Um, it's It's not an easy listen because the dude's voice is, uh, it's unhinged. Like, uh, you're either going to love it or you're going to be like this. That's horrible. Like, how did that happen? And, and I love it. It's just like this dude is screaming out his lungs. Um, and not like a metal core scream, just a really like, you know, passionate, I don't know, hardcore scream. It's hard to explain. Like, it just sounds like someone yelling like bloody murder. And, and I think it's cool. Uh, the other thing that's awesome about this record is the, the layout's really cool. Like, uh, the front cover has an actual human in a hoodie, not a drawing, uh, like standing in front of, uh, this graffiti that says we're not in this alone. And then (laughs) there's a bunch of really cool, uh, live shots in the layout. Like, when I got this seven inch, I spent a lot of time kind of like studying like the pictures of these, the jumps that these dudes were doing. And, you know, I'd be lying if I said it didn't really kind of impact like what I brought to my 
performance uh, when I play guitar. So, yeah, I, I, I think that for this stuff, we can't shy away from the aesthetic of things like that. Like this genre is shrouded in aesthetics, and mm-hmm. and and this part of the reason why we love this stuff, right? Like, I don't know, looking at a live photo of a dude jumping, like that's always going to be sick. I love hardcore. Oh yeah. And so a dude jumping and playing guitar, that's fucking sick. Nothing wrong with it. Like, and I think that's this stuff. Um, a lot of it is like timeless, you know I mean? We're talking about it now, 25 years later. So yeah, to, to piggyback on what you're saying about aesthetics too, like, yes, it, those kind of vibes that it, it pulls from you, but someone like myself, like, I absolutely love looking at the the sneakers being continued from those days, the X watch, the, you know, the crucial t-shirts, like all of that look that um, I dabble with a little bit, but not entirely because I have influences from all over. Plus, Renaissance um, man. <laughs> plus, plus uh, fit, Youth crew people look a lot better than uh, us <laughs> big boy youth crew people. Yeah, but everyone looks good you know in a champion I mean? hoodie. Everyone looks good in a champion hoodie. But, true, true. But, you know, it's, it's, but, it's timeless in the way that, like, if I saw a record come out today and it's a dude in a hoodie in front of some we're not in this alone spray paint, I, I fucking take, yeah. take my money. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm listening I'm immediately. In. I'm in. I'm hooked. Yeah. yeah. But, but but I'm saying that like on the on the essence of like people who take the time to and lots of people will find this cheesy. A lot of people will be like, that's not punk. But for me, someone who takes the time to really enjoy an era holistically, like, you know, you think about the great like sports things that were going on at the end of the eighties, early nineties that played into both hip hop and hardcore fashion. And uh, just from all of that, like it's the stuff that really ignites me within as well as the music, you know? So that's one thing that this genre and for example, mouthpiece in particular do really well is uh, keeping that stuff alive as well. But Daniel's trying to say is he owns 500 pairs of shoes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I would, I would without hardcore, you know, but it doesn't hurt. That's for sure. <laughs> One more thing real quick about Plague with Rage and uh, some of these uh, Buffalo bands. Uh, Jeremy from that band is in a new band called Tuning, which is dope. I know Zach shot him out on the pod before, but just give him another shout out. Like these are people that are still involved in the scene. At least he is. I'm not sure about the other dudes but respect yeah shout out jeremy shout out adrian um yeah so 95 we can talk about the mouthpiece face tomorrow seven inch chris this is what you wanted to get to it's also on new age records yeah so my my mouthpiece experience uh there maybe if i had to think like a band live band that i saw that influenced my uh, perspective on like what I thought hardcore was and, and should be and what I really gravitated to like it would be mouthpiece um, I saw him had to be like 95 
maybe in a basement in like the nowhere, like you go to Seattle and then drive east for like an hour um, into the woods. Uh, this dude, Big John, who later played in Left With Nothing and some other bands, uh, he had he had a house out there and would do shows in his basement. And uh, Mouthpiece played out there and I, on uh, the Face Tomorrow 7-inch, which is what we're talking about now. And uh, it was a really important show for me because a lot you know as we we're talking like a lot of the bands at the time so like what was big in seattle at the time was like either really uh noisy stuff uh all like kind of dead guy which is cool and like threadbare which is also cool and then um uh crap what was that band uh nine iron spitfire now they're from Florida. No, they're from here. But there's a band from Florida uh, that I'm drawing a blank on their name right now. But um, culture. Anyways, nah. Morning again. Nah. Power anyways. House. <laughs> um, Jimmy anyways, Buff- Jimmy Buffett and the Coral Reefer band. Deicide. <laughs> it was Deicide. Asa. It was Asa. Like crew. Like it crew wasn't too like okay. All right. Great radio. Uh, anyway, so I went to the show. Like I, I listened to like Gorilla Biscuits and Youth Today and a lot of like fast hardcore. And I listened to a lot of the noisy stuff too. But what I really loved and really, you know, appreciated it was Gorilla Biscuits and Project X and stuff like that. And Mouthpiece played, and I didn't have their record yet, but they played this style of fast hardcore that I that I loved, and they just kind of blew me away and. Uh, what really sealed the deal is at the end of the set, they did a Project X cover and uh, Grill Biscuits New Direction. And, uh, you know, that was the first time that I kind of got to experience like a, a band doing a cover and everyone rushing to the front of the mic, you know, to grab the mic and crawling over each other. Like, I distinctly remember like someone yanking on the back of my hoodie to try and like get up on top and like, it was just like the best feeling, and I instantly knew like that was like the style core that I that I loved and wanted to kind of be a part. Of. And then you really got into BDSM because you would love being choked. <laughs> Jesus, let's talk a little I don't bit. Know how to respond to that? One <laughs> other thing, though, <laughs> going back to what Zach was saying about uh, aesthetic, and, and Dan was saying about aesthetic too. Like the other thing that kind of struck me was. Uh, they all had not all of them, but like a, a few of the people on the tour had like, you know, I don't even know, probably like Jordan threes or something like really clean yeah. white ones with like in red pink outline. I remember like their shoes really stood out and I was like, wow, like these guys all have the same shoes. That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> Are they sponsored? Yeah, exactly. I saw them in December 95 and they were definitely wearing Jordan twos. Um, which when uh, damn those came out in like eighty seven. When did those come out? Yeah, uh, eight, 87, 88 Right. Uh, so threes are eighty eight. So okay, so eighty seven probably. But like, so this is December ninety five. They played the Troubadour with Suppression Swing, um, with with Ed McCurdy on bass and um, Whirlpool and Far Side is kind of a mixed bill. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was at that then. Okay, and then and do you remember Tim saying a lot of the bands playing tonight are rock bands? 
we're a hardcore band. Like he made a real point of saying that. And I, I saw him maybe a couple of years ago and I reminded him of that. I'm like, remember when he said that? And he goes, Oh, I said that. And he's so mortified. He's so embarrassed. Like, <laughs> what a stupid thing to say. It's like, I was being condescending towards like bands that didn't play straight, straight up hardcore, but like they played it. They played maybe a couple days later at a new year's eve party in long beach with uh eyelid maybe it was eleven thirty four pale fire parades and i i can't remember oh collapse which is pre-adamantium and i took the blue line from la to long beach with some skinhead dude i had just met and his girlfriend picked us up at the blue line station just so we could i could see mouthpiece on new year's eve and that was awesome and and tim was wearing a blast to my blood shirt and and they opened with a cover of Bloodstains by Asian Orange, and the way they played it is if you have the Bloodstains seven inch and you, which is a forty five RPM seven inch, if you put it on thirty three, that's how that's what it sounded like. Mouthpiece playing it heavier and a little bit slower. And they were awesome. Sick. That rules. We should also say that the sound changes a little bit on the seven inch, um, mm-hmm. more mid tempo and melodic, which is rad like they pulled it off and, and they do a video for the uh for the catchiest song on the seven inch so where are we going cinder yeah cinder and they do a a, a video for it where they're performing in an elevator and um, the video never play never airs anywhere right like i didn't even know the video existed until the youtube era yeah uh, I'm sure. It, I'm sure Zach saw it on cinema, beer goggles. Beer <laughs> uh, shout out noodles. Shout out smelling. <laughs> you made me do it. I was going to say that. Uh, yeah. So anyway, the seven. All right, ninety six. The seven inch is cool. Now we're on ninety five. Um, um, well, face tomorrow is my favorite track. I was going to say face tomorrow is important because the breakdown. He's singing. You can change the face, but you can't touch what's in my heart. You can change the sound, but you can't tear this apart. He's going. He's he's going after the whole metal, the metal being infiltrating the scene. He's he's saying, you know, you can't you can't fuck with, you know, the shit that's important to me, which is the, that kind of, you know, late eighties rev style shit, mm-hmm. which which is awesome because at the time I was gung-ho i was like completely on the same wavelength i still am uh, as you know just like fuck yeah fuck and the thing is about metal it's like you know if it was like 10 or 20 percent of the hardcore scene that was doing metal like cool like that you know there's there's room for everyone here but it was so it just dominated fucking everything it was just it was like being smothered um, and I don't know if it, even though, like, like Zach said, the, the fast, uh, you know, after this whole second wave of youth crew, fast never goes out of style again, but still that metallic, um, didn't the metallic thing come back in the last 10 years in a really big way with like trapped under ice and bands like that? I know that's slightly different, but like, isn't it? The, mo- the mosh is huge oh. now. Um, you know, okay. Yeah. The, the drop tuning and the mosh, which is awesome for me because, like, you can be mediocre in that style, and I enjoy it. Like, 
that that's like the the genre of hardcore where in my opinion you can get away with being mediocre and you're still good in like just for my my weird ass opinion i still enjoy like right. that stuff like a wide berth of it where like youth crew stuff either you're good or you suck you know like or you're boring yeah it's like the, it's even it's even worse than sucking it's like you're you're so boring that i don't even care to say you suck yeah you know what i mean like, and, and and it's also crazy because like how are you boring when you're like fast and have breakdowns like this yeah this is like scientifically impossible but you pulled it off <laughs> you know but too well, many bands pull it off yeah well chris the way chris in a in a group text described plague with rage as he says i don't know if they were quote-unquote good but i liked them and it's like this whole 90s youth crew thing i think like half of it you could say just isn't good like which is like not a bad a- average um and then, and then 40 percent of it is like it's not quote unquote good but i like it and then 10 percent is actually good yeah, i love the energy it's all about the outing energy. people left right and center yeah but that's that's also <laughs> no no some, no he, that's some of the best stuff though is like you know people that are carving out like an actual like interesting path or sound and like taking a risk like for instance, we'll get to it, but like the Atari seven inch, like if you look at that as a piece of music, I would say it's generally not great, but it's so interesting that they just went for it like full, like, oh, we're going to go fast on every song and everything is going to be like super generic, like lyrically and sing along style. And we're going <laughs> to, someone's going to be hitting an octave the entire time. <laughs> like that, like if you, Break it down, you know, mm-hmm. if you bring it to like hardcore science class, they're gonna be like, dude, this is like a piece of shit, you know? But it is so rad because they like went for something. It sounds like nothing else on the planet. And so it's like, I still enjoy it to this day. Like that seven inch is fucking awesome, you know? Tari is awesome. Yeah. Really I think awesome. you're giving it you're giving them a lot of credit. It really does. I wouldn't say it sounds like nothing else on the planet. I'd say it sounds like very good youth crew and I, and very good meaning maybe not quote unquote good, but I like it. <laughs> but uh, you're right that the, that like there's a good, there's two guitarists and one guy's playing the power chords and one guy's playing the octaves the entire way through. <laughs> yeah. It's like, this sounds sick. Like, I don't know. Like he just heard linoleum, you know? And it's like, what if we do linoleum and gorilla biscuits? in the same song on every song, you know? And it's like, it's fucking sick, but, uh, 95, go ahead. I was just gonna say, I think they, I think grill biscuits is probably a big one. And they were like, these melodic, really cool. Let's take that and let's do it even more than they do it. Yeah. That's what it is. It's like GB does it so tastefully and it makes them like into a perfect band. But then you're like, dude, what if we take that little piece of GB and just do it the whole time? It'll be 10 times as awesome, you know? But, uh, okay, let's get into 95. So we talked the mouthpiece face tomorrow, 7-inch. There's another big boy that's coming out in 95. That's the Floor Punch demo uh, in my blood records. And this thing is awesome. Daniel, what do you think about it? Um, I'm sorry. I, uh, I just lost the audio for a second. That's cool. Uh, Four points. Four points demo. Oh, the game changer. Mm-hmm. 
this is the this is the one where you can tell the people who are in this band have a vast uh, array of musical influences, but choose to craft an aggressively edged youth group band, taking more judge attitude with a little bit youth of today and chain music um, and really developing like a strong, like strong, like, yeah, you call us fucking jocks. Yeah. We're fucking jocks. You call us, you know, ignorant straight as people. Yeah. We're fucking ignorant straight as people. What of it? You know, that's the attitude you're getting from it where it is a kickback against the scene of being like, Hey man, don't come to our shows on Marsh. It's like, fuck you. This is hardcore. Boom. That's what's happening here. And uh, it really is crafted, crafted musically really perfectly. Like these songs are catchy yet mean, you know. Um, I love it. I absolutely love it. Yes, yeah, it's, it's like pretty perfect hardcore, right? Like everything's catchy on the fast parts and then there's a mosh part. So it's like you get your sing-alongs and you get your mosh in the same song. Yeah. You know, and which God, is, which is, which is, you know, exactly the formula of a lot of the revelation record stuff that is being championed here. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. You get your sing-alongs and your mosh in, in those songs. Yeah. Um, and- but you can tell, you can tell that this band was also raised on Cro-Mags. Absolutely. You know, you can, and they tell- were, Go ahead. They were like one of the bands that first kind of started championing the mosh, you know, like doing championing Chromex, championing leeway, you know, yeah. doing the leeway intro, like championing these not necessarily youth crew bands, but like you know, hardcore bands that played hard breakdowns. And they, you know, bef- I, I want to say before Floor Punch. I mean, there were bands that did that, but not to that level where, you know, they would play, you know, their final mosh. I think they started their set off with three, three or four different intros. Straight, yeah. You know, and the video of it is insane. Totally insane. Like, to, to, I don't know how that place is standing after that, you know? Yeah. I don't know how it's a John Barbavos after that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because what they're doing is they're also pulling in, they're pulling in the rev stuff, but they're also pulling in like some of the other New York hardcore, like yeah, the regional well. stuff that is the gods of where they're from. Yeah, they're bringing you know, in, they're bringing in breakdown, they're bringing in AF. raw deal, AF, chromax. Yeah. So, I mean, in fact, like if you think about the songs, it's very similar in a way to like Victim in Pain that. Now it doesn't mm. it doesn't sonically sound like it because the recordings are really really different, but yeah. the idea of the songs of like super catchy sing along on the fast and then like in victim and pain you know every song except for the last song has a breakdown you know and that's like yeah. this stuff too so it's it's the rev stuff also mixed with like the classic New York Horker shit and it's like that's mm-hmm. what makes it so great um, and Bed yeah. you you mentioned yeah. on a recent podcast that you would have never thought that like, this was the only thing that like kind of still gets um, like shouted out to and held up. Why, why are you surprised by that? Does this not stand out to you? 
no, 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 it's very good. I just like, I just would have never guessed like, okay, here's a dozen really good, let's say the year's 1999. Here's a dozen really good bands playing the style of music that I like. Someone says, hey, you know, out of all the, out of these 12 bands, only one anyone's going to give a shit about by 2020. Like, guess which band? Like, I would just, I don't know. I'd, I'd, I'd throw some dice and be like, six, it's standard fight. I don't know. Like, it, it doesn't strike me as they don't, they never struck me as heads and shoulders above everyone else. They did strike me as one of the best three or four or five bands playing that style of music, but not like, you know, the one band, like the, fuck everything mm-hmm. else. Like I've never, I wouldn't have guessed that. I would say the reason that it is that way is because of what we're talking about is that the influences were just spread a little bit wider than the Rev catalog that they were based in this. And also, even though the name is a little bit somewhat comedic and their, and their, um, you know, rec- their demo is called the gold, uh, gold line stand. stand. Yeah. Um, so it is a little bit, you know, like the jockey attitude, which is a direct response to regular hardcore kids being called jocks in that era, in that locale. But it's the fact that they never not took themselves seriously. Do you know what I mean? They were very serious. And on top of it, you know, with the way hardcore champions the negative in the last 10, 15 years, perhaps, you know, the all the lore that goes with it has increased their vibe as well. You know, the punching Duncan uh, and the, you know, the Nazi fight in smashing Nazis in SF. Yeah. And, and just, just, um, Porter's still around, you know, going to shows all the time, you know. So it, it is a, it's a, I don't know. There's just something intangible. It's hard to put your foot on, uh, finger on. About why it is. I think that like you're really close to it. So I think that what makes it so great is that they are rocking like that the straight sound. Like it is a throwback like to the youth crew stuff. But you said they opened up like a tad bit. But the thing is they only opened up that tad bit to add like the greatest New York hardcore shit under that umbrella. Yeah. And they didn't open yeah. up past that. Right? Where of like course. other yeah. you know, other is like, oh we're we're adding influences like, Oh, let's add a little like Dagnasty and a little turning point. It's like, they never went there, you know, like they weren't that band. Well, and it's also Zuzai coming out of resurrection, knowing exactly what this next band wants to sound like. Right. It's not what he's already done. It's having the chops to do whatever he wants, but really synthesizing all of those, specifically chosen uh signposts do you know what i mean yeah chris what did you i never never thought of this sorry go ahead ben and then we'll go to chris uh i never thought of this before but zuzai played guitar in release which are one of the less good in my opinion less good bands of the of the first you know wave of youth crew the 80s youth crew Mm -hmm. and then and then he plays guitar in floor punch which are one of one of the uh better bands of the 90s youth crew it was like you know, he, well, I'm sure he was like, you know, 14 or 15 years old when he was, st- when he started release. So it was like, he had the experience and the, 
the, you know, to, I guess, to write better songs and be uh, more to the point with it, with the, uh, with the songwriting actually is, do we know for a fact he's, he was the main songwriter in four punch. Now that I think of it, maybe he wasn't who, who was writing the music. No, you know, I, I don't know. I just okay. assume that he is very much, um, I mean, he's just so talented. I assume that he writes songs. Well, if he didn't right. write it, he had to yeah. approve it, right? Because he's going to play it. Oh, so, of course. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Chris, what do you have on this? No, I'm, I'm glad you brought it up because uh, it's something I've been thinking about since that Rev podcast discussion. Like, you know, the way that we were talking about it, uh, I didn't want to give anyone the impression that we were saying that like Floor Punch was overrated or anything like that. Like, it's definitely not that. And I think Ben did a good job, uh, you know, repositioning his, you know, his thinking, which I also agreed. Like, you know, if you would ask me, like, who would be the biggest bands, you know, from this era that would stand the test of time, like, there's probably, like, you know, a handful of others that I might have named first. But, you know, as we've discussed, there's a number of things that have made Floor Punch stand the test of time. Um, I think another thing that plays in, in their favor is, you know, I, I'm going to compare them to a, a current band who they don't sound anything like, but uh, Turnstile is a band that writes songs in a way that they know, they know what to write that is going to make kids do the craziest things when they play live. Like, you know, like sing along parts or breakdowns. Like they just have this formula where like they write these songs and kids are going to come to their shows and their shows are going to be wild. I think floor punch had that formula down where it was like, we're a fast hardcore band. We're going to play as fast as we can. And then we're going to hit these breakdowns and we're going to break down as hard as we can. And everyone in this place is going to be floor punching and stomping on the ground and it's going to be sick. And then when we have sing alongs, everyone's going to be on stage singing along and they just kind of perfected that formula. Yeah. I feel, I right. feel that's a, that was a great thing to say about the turning or excuse me, the turnstile. I feel the same way, like listening to that new Roddy now LP, like everything on it sounds so intentional that like I'm listening to it and I'm liking the music, but I'm also picturing in my head, like, holy fuck, this is going to be like 500 people going crazy. You know, if, mm-hmm. if shows ever happen again, it's like, it's very, <laughs> it's very intentional, you know, in like the best way possible. Well, another thing that is, is kind of permeating the hardcore scene around this time that goes hand in hand with the um, approach of Floor Punch was the hardware fanzine, which was, you know, championing things from the Rev era to the original uh, NYHC era uh, and really basically calling for hardcore to be hard again without it being metal. Do you know what I mean? So it floor punch, uh, there was like a zeitgeist of a feeling around the time for that happening, especially on the East coast. It wasn't uh, permeating the West coast yet. But as soon as this demo started circulating around the West Coast, people were loving it as well. Yeah. Um, also, 95, another one I pulled out is uh, the Tenure Fight demo also comes out, which is yeah. another classic piece of catchy hardcore music. And uh, both Floor Punch and Tenure Fight would do their seven inches in 96. Um, we'll get to them, but we should say, actually, let's talk about Tenure Fight in 96, because I think that the seven inches the best piece of material they do. Um, but yeah, their demo is notable. 
And let me just brush on some other quick things here. Well, don't you want don't you want to sing the entire song Pit of Equality? You <laughs> Straight Edge <laughs> Brothers in the Pit together. Singing Straight Edge Anthems together. We're all friends. If you're not high, no one will go home with a black eye. I know it still do. <laughs> with a black fucking eye. Fucking eye. <laughs> yeah, okay, so 95 Floor Punch Demo, 95 Cornerstone Beating the Masses CDEP, Lost and Found. Uh, the Tenure Fight Demo, uh, Ignite, Call on My Brothers LP, uh, has gotten much love Gosh. on this pod. Uh, 97A, their first 7-inch, The Terror on WFMU 7-inch, which I believe is Teamwork Records number one, um, but I don't have it in front of me. Uh, Main Strike, I, I say the, the big three of the Crucial Response stuff, and I could be totally wrong. They were just my three favorite at the time, talking eyeball, Main Strike, and Sportswear. Uh, Main Strikes First, 95, Time Still Here, 7-inch, Crucial Response. Uh, the Rectify, 7-inch, How We Feel, 7-inch on Crucial Response. And shout-out to Larry again with the self-titled 7-inch by Envy on New Direction Records. And then I also mentioned um, Shutdown has two releases this year, uh, Turning the Tide, CDEP, Striving for Togetherness Records, and then also the Split 7-inch with Indecision on keeping it real back to basics <laughs> and uh yeah. i revisited this split because i've had it forever and dude it fucking rips like the shutdown side it doesn't sound like i remember them sounding at all because it's actually like kind of more metallic but it hits some hard breakdowns i actually like this a lot i don't think it ties into youth crew that much at all um i just remember them kind uh, of maybe having aesthetically yeah, like I remember them having that feel when they came out to the West Coast. Like, oh, this is this is one of those bands. Um, but the yeah. thing that made them them uh, stand apart like that is that they were on Victory, and mm-hmm. uh, they were the straightforward sounding hardcore band on Victory, along with Warzone. Um, while the rest of Victory was very metal tinged, so shut down almost de facto became a youth crew band because of that. Right. But you know what I mean? Yeah. But we, we might want to like, for the sake of this exercise, <clears throat> maybe toss them more so in with um, like Ensign and, and more drawing like a direct, yeah. Like draw from sick of it all more so than youth of the day. Um, Agreed. They were much more NYHC than they were straight up like the youth crew. Right. Is there anything yeah. else? And they were from Brooklyn. Yeah, more New York than Connecticut. Well, yeah. they were from yeah. they were from Brooklyn, weren't they? Shut down. They're actually from New York. I mean, a lot of New York hardcore bands aren't really from New York, but I think they were. And I remember me, I saw them play a show. I forget where it was, somewhere in Southern California. And I said, "Hey, my, you're from Brooklyn. My dad's from Brooklyn." And the dude hugged me. <laughs> yeah, that dude is so nice. That's or cool. was so nice. That's cool. Um, yeah, I'm sure he's still nice. You think? Yeah, maybe I haven't seen it. I haven't met him in 20 years, 25 years. <laughs> yeah. yeah <I> know. <laughs> um, anything else you guys want to say on 95 before we move into 96? All right. Let's um, 95, the, um, unbroken final seven inch came out and it was all was right with the world, which has nothing to do with youth. Crew. Super youth crew. <laughs> all right. 96 dudes. So, 96 gives us 
what we were talking about before, floor punch, division one champ, seven inch in my blood records. Also tenor fight, hardcore pride, seven inch, big wheel recreation, uh, fast break. They do two seven inches that don't stop trying seven inch on third party and the where it lies seven inch on Stan hard records. And I remember that one being like hard to get, like don't stop trying. Yeah. It was super easy to get. And I had it and I don't think I ever heard where it lies. Um, but I, I would always Same. hear people saying like, oh, that's the best one. It's like, okay, well, can't, can't <laughs> find it. <laughs> you know, fuck. Yep. Mm-hmm. I, looked, I looked for years for that record, and I still to this day have not found it. <laughs> yeah. I think I had it. Oh, hook up edge. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll look up. Actually, one of you guys look up on Discogs, see what the price is. Um, 96, we get it's the probably bet. It's probably gone way down after the last LP. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, Jesus! You know, ninety six has a bunch. Let me just rapid fire all yeah. this stuff, and then we're gonna go back because I pulled out some that are crucial. Um, okay, battery until the end. LP sick. Ignite past our means yeah. twelve inch ninety seven A does their f- the first proper studio seven inch. Better off dead. Um, teamwork hands tied does their self titled rain on the parade. They do their demo and they do the body bag seven inch. Rectify, By Your Side 7-inch, Crucial Response Records, Follow Through, Not This Time 7-inch, Stand Hard Records, Shutdown, Signs of Change 7-inch, Lost and Found, and the X Decide X 7-inch, Positive Face Records, Purpose, First 7-inch, uh, the self-titled on Reaction Records, uh, Insin, Self-Titled 7-inch, Indecision, Uprise, Silent, No Longer 7-inch on Orphaned Records, Redemption 87 LP, I have no idea why I have it listed on commitment. That shit was on New Age, Half Mass, yeah. Deny Their Vision, Seven Inch, Ambassador, the Rad Seven Inch, the Bedge fucking nitpicked me for for fucking three days to put on there. <laughs> getting getting ready to break the ice demo on Squirrel Zine tapes, Common Ground, Self Title Seven Inch, Ignition, and Common Ground High School Talent Show Seven Inch, also on Ignition. All right, back to what I plucked out. Um, I slow year. Yeah, this this shit is exploding now, right? So floor punch seven inch. We brushed on floor punch. This thing is maybe the goat of the era. But let's talk about ten yard yep. fight. The demo fucking rips, but hardcore pride seven inch, I think is the best thing they did. This is like for the era as catchy and awesome as it gets. And like where floor punch is basically hitting on more so just two tempos. They're doing faster than mosh. Ten yard fight is actually hitting on a few more tempos. Um, which is kind of cool and adds to some of the catchiness of the music. Um, what do you guys think about this? Daniel, let's go to you first. It's very catchy. Um, his, the way that he delivers over the kind of buildy breaks, um, the sing-alongs really, really build up like super awesome. And um, they're very unifying, you know? Um the one thing I'd say about it is the one thing that probably doesn't hold up, even though it was by far my favorite song on the seven inch when it first came out is proud to be straight. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Nowadays you have a song called that. It's very, very much being questioned. Um, (laughs) But it, but you know what it is. Oh, of course, of course. It's for you. But the, yeah, they, uh, this this whole uh, this is where they kind of shook off a bit of the jokey football side mm-hmm. of things 
and literally said, okay, we're going to be like a full-on hardcore band. Like, we want to do this with some modicum of seriousness, you know? And Holding On, what a track. Uh, God, it's really great. And it sounds great. It's recorded awesome. And Wrench's voice is probably the best it ever was on the 7-inch. Yeah, like holding on with a track. What about every other track? This thing is a yeah. fucking mm-hmm. banger, dude. Probably yeah. is forever. Forever. Yeah. Ugh. You know the title track. Hardcore pride. Yeah. yeah. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Chris, what do you got on this? Uh Dan said everything already, but <laughs> I think uh, and this is another one where the aesthetic was real cool. Like the layout is nothing special. Like there this wasn't an art school graduate who put this together but it looks so freaking cool like you know just the live shots with like the three different shades um super simple but you look at it and you know what it is and you know that if you like the style you're gonna grab the seven inch yeah and the music actually unlike a lot of stuff that you buy that you kind of force yourself to like because it fits into that style like the the music actually stands stands up and uh, the songs are killer. Also, it's another genius uh, production by Brian McTernan. True, Salad Day Studios. Yeah, the guy knows how to record hardcore. The back cover looks epic. Like he looks straight out of nineteen eighty eight. You know, yeah, with like in the crowd, the bass player. Um, so the fast break where it lies seven inch is actually there's not a single copy on Discogs. <laughs> So that's pretty wild. Yeah, and you know, who, you know who Stan Hard Records was? That was the du- the singer Jesse. of Right Brigade. Yeah, yep. the Right Brigade singer and bass player of uh, An and An. That's true. And follow through. And Ryan Murphy drums on uh, the Ten Yard Fight. Yeah, Seattle baby. Yep. Do a Brotherhood cover on the CD. Oh, yeah. I had no idea. That's Ryan. That's Murph playing drums on the on the Tenor Fight Seven Inch. Had no idea. Yep. Yeah, I don't actually. I don't know if if he actually played on any of the recordings. I I want to say I, Ryan listens to this podcast, so he'll probably text me when I get nope. it wrong. But uh, <laughs> he's listed. He's listed as the player, and he's photoed in the okay. insert. Well, I want to say like the original drummer Ben. Uh, like house arrests for uh, like doing some graffiti stuff and like wasn't able to tour, so that's why Ryan was touring with them and playing with them. Right. He better wanted to talk about Tanner. He had a tag. We're not this alone. Right. Okay, Edge. The Tanner fight and the so like floor punch and Tanner fight. They started around the same time, I guess, floor punch a tiny bit earlier, but both in 95 and they weren't, they were unaware of each other when they both formed. And then they became like, you know, buddies and played a lot of shows together. But like, these are the, these two bands are the reason you see this night, this explosion in 96, 97, 98, 99 of all the style of music. Like these are really like, these are the kind of flag bearers of, of this style. And, and, um, um, Here's another great Anthony Popolardo quote where he's t- talking about the idea behind starting a yard fight. And he goes, um, this is not revisionist, but I completely remember us saying we wanted a yard fight to be like the over the top gag band, a crucial youth, but serious 
we were all straight edge, but we wanted this thing to be over the top so that people would pay attention and most importantly, have fun. So originally the idea was to have wrench come out in a full football uniform with eye black and like maybe even one of those like microphones that's like, like, like the Britney Spears microphone that straps to your, your face so you can run around. <laughs> I don't know he, if they did that. He definitely did the eye black and the, and the Jersey, the Boston university right. Jersey back in the day. But did he wear a helmet on stage? I don't know if they ever took it that far, but well, um, like, the the funny thing is with is that the demo they're using all these football metaphors, and then by the seven inch they're not really anymore so much. Yeah. And um, you have uh, floor punch. Some of those guys, or at least one of them, actually played uh, football in high school or college. And I don't think anyone in a tenure fight was ever a football player. So I don't even think they were the football fans. Like, really? I, I want to say I heard they, it. They meant- Maybe it was on Turned Out a Punk where one of the dudes from Tenured Fight was interviewed and he was like, we didn't even really like football. We just thought it was kind of a funny gag. Then as we started playing these songs, like, started to talk to football and we kind of had to, like, <laughs> become football fans and we became football fans eventually. Like, I want to say that's kind of how he put it on that podcast. Do you know what, though? Having had dalliances with many different people from the Boston hardcore scene. Like, I don't think anyone who comes from that area is not sports aware and a fan. Do you know what I mean? Like they may not think they're not football fans compared to their wild uncle who tailgates yeah. at two AM outside Gillette Stadium, but that's you know Red Sox tattoos. Yeah. No, that's a good um, point. And they and they talk about the Cowboys in that song. Back in 82, when the Cowboys were strong. Yeah. Uh, play flag football all day long. I, I was listening to Tenure Fight while doing the dishes tonight. I'm like, I remember so many of these words. It's crazy. Like, I was singing along, like, full, like, portions of the song. Well, I think that's the, like, the, the, the way that they're written are just so catchy. Okay, let's move Totally. On. And do you got... Wait, I was going to say, do you guys have, have like, you know how like punk rock is like, there's this sort of trope in within punk where it's all jocks suck, fuck jocks. I got picked on in high school by jocks. Like, did you three have that experience in high school? No. Um, no. I, yeah. I, I came from uh, England and when I started I did a senior year of high school in America. And when I did that year, um, yeah, everyone who was a jock was a fucking idiot. <laughs> and everyone who was into music was way cooler. So, and skating, you know, was way cooler. So yeah, I, I said jock, so, but I've never stopped loving real football, you know, all through that. Like I would go to the Shakespeare pub on a Saturday morning at 6am so I could watch English football I never like punk never stopped me loving what you know is called soccer here but um, it, I've never like thought I completely adhere to the seven seconds I hate sports you know but I know lots of people who have yeah, a lot of the California scene well, doesn't sh- like sports you shout know? out to uh adam manball heckman 
Oxnard High School football rules. Okay, um, that's tenure five. There you go. Let's move on to fast break. You guys have anything on these? On the Don't Stop Trying 7-inch? I got this back when I was waiting all this stuff. I never got into this band, really. Um, they're just one that missed me. But a lot of people liked them, and they came to California once, I believe. Or once. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if they, they ever came PCH, after LP. I believe. They played Laser yeah. Star, dude. Uh, twice, at least twice. Yeah. They, played, they came to California twice. Okay, because they came out with Tenured Fight um, and played yeah. Laser Star. They shared members at, 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 a, at one point, I believe. Yes. So uh, I, I saw Luke. I think Neil. I saw him at the pickle patch and I saw him at laser star. Um, so yeah, they were the pre, the pre boys kind of compared. And, um, yeah, it was always a bit weaker than, but I did like the LP at the time, but I think I was just fiending for so much of this sound at the time. It doesn't hold up compared. And then what they go on to do is just a disgrace. Okay, so you do like, like my girlfriend. You like the the cars LP? Is that what it is? Yeah, fast break, fast cars, fast women. Okay. Um, I liked it at the time. I haven't revisited it that much. Um, I still have it, it. It's really good. I don't. It holds up to me. It holds up to me. It's like the closest this whole this whole scene came to a Gorilla Biscuits. Yeah, okay. I can see that, Chris. I think it's 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 really well written. Like, uh, the, the, the singer is a guitar player from right brigade, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, what's his name? I don't remember his name, but, um, and I'm, I'm sure Pat. he wrote most. Pat. I think it's Pat. Yeah, it sounds right. I think he wrote most of this stuff and wrote, you know, most of the right brigade music. So he's a good songwriter. Like this song or this, uh, that fast cards, fast woman record, good it's well written it has like really cool like little breaks and stuff um i just never could super vibe on his voice yeah a little too saves the day pop punky just a little bit yeah okay Um, anything else on fast break okay let's do battery battery puts out the until the end lp conversion records 1996 um and this is like Bedge was alluding to earlier, I believe. Like, this is a batter that we know and love. This LP is fucking mm-hmm. awesome. Um, Chris, let's go to you on this. Yeah, this was my favorite record for probably three years strong. Like, from when it came out to at least '99, I want to say it's my favorite record. They were my favorite band. Uh, the the earlier stuff was cool, uh, but what really stood out to me. For with this band is, is similar to against all hope is that the lyrics were really, uh, really mature. And I mean, there are definitely like those songs about hardcore, you know, but he wasn't afraid to, you know, he hit that, that hardcore stuff that we all love, but he wasn't afraid to kind of go outside of the box and hit other topics. And, and I think that's a, a big part of what made them stood out, stand out. I think another thing that is like, patented patentedly them is like those kind of mid-tempo uh palm muted parts uh that i don't i don't know like i think his his voice is just like dripping with so much passion that these like really kind of like these parts that would be boring if anyone else would sing over them just really kind of uh 
stood out as, as passionate and, and intense because of the lyrics, I think. Yeah, like the go back to the gym song against like bullies and jocks kind of thing is it could be such a cheesy song mm-hmm. uh, by someone else, but by them it sounds really amazing. And um, they already did uh, We're Gonna Fight on the previous LP and then they do Young Till I Die on this one. And Sick. if you think many times that hardcore bands record hardcore covers they're usually filler at at best Mm -hmm. on a lot of LPs (laughs) there's like the way they rework the 7 seconds song to not be copying it identically and doing their own version is so good and so memorable like their Young Till I Die is super crucial yeah they crushed it yeah and, and like Chris was talking about like the the palm meeting parts where his voice can carry it. Like the, you would love to give us a bad name mm-hmm. with, uh, nah, nah. you know, it's like he does like the build up. There's, there's so much range in his voice without hitting notes. Um, that it's, it's really stand out for the style of music. Um, yeah. yeah. And, and he, le- he can lean into some stuff too, that like when I think about it lyrically, it's a little generic, but like it's so passionate, like the way that he's singing it, and it fits the part so good. Like that one song was like, "Say it, say it, I can mm-hmm. find my place in this world. I believe, I believe." Say it, you know, like those lyrics. They're nothing special, but it's like putting it into that part. It is a part where it needs to be completely stripped down because he's trying to get through a very simple message like into your head even saying like say it say it you know like mm-hmm. he can pull off that stuff like no one else um jack i think it's it's interesting that you bring up how he he varies his voice without like singing notes because i think that's something that really stands out to me with this band it, particularly this record is like he'll he has he varies his like he doesn't go in the studio and do you know 10 all the way cranked up to 10 the whole time it's not played with ridge where he's screaming his head off the entire time which is still sick but he does he varies his like the intensity so much throughout this record that it really kind of uh makes it interesting and there's parts where you know it's those those build-up parts and and you know that something's coming and then he hits these certain syllables where like there's so much emotion just like dripping off of every syllable i mean i think i said this on on a previous podcast when we were talking about be well but like he'll hit a syllable like it's the most important syllable that he'll ever scream and uh and it's just so cool like how uh i don't know just how how much character he can add by varying the the intensity yeah, and and I just listened to a couple interviews with him recently, and you know because he's doing uh that ma- that band be well right now, and and so he's you know a lot of people are interviewing him, and and he talks about like his childhood. And it just sounds awful. Like he, there was a point where his mother takes him to this like place where he thinks he's going to get tested so they could, he could get put into a, like an alternative school because he, he wasn't doing well in school and it ends up being a mental hospital and he turns around and his mom is like just like 
she's gone. Like she basically tricks him into committing him into a mental hospital. He's like, he's like 13 years old at this point or maybe 14. And it's just like, it seems like hardcore, you know, how people say like hardcore saved my life, you know, which is such a cliche thing to say, but I think in this, in Brian's case, it's true. Like this, it really hardcore was like his savior. And, um, so when, when, he's singing something and it sounds like the most important thing in his life. It, it probably is. <laughs> and I remember seeing them in 97 and 98, especially in 97, just like, damn, this is the shit. This is like, this is as good as, as hardcore gets. I don't think, I don't, I don't think this record has held up the way I thought it would like back in listening to it in the nineties. But, but Brian's the real deal. So man, California was ready for that battery tour. You know, is both the, of them. Is that the uh, Tenard fight battery? Yeah. yeah and for the Rev tour? Yeah, and then the Rev one after the, that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, just people were, I don't know, everyone knew every word, you know? Yeah, plus them doing like Young Till I Die at Showcase, like, good God. Yeah. Yeah, you know, talk about real. one of those epic showcase <laughs> moments. But uh, talk what's about the song? My... What's the song where he goes? Do you think I'm a piece of shit because I look a little funny and act a little different? You don't know me. What I believe. I'm so bad with song titles, but like, there's there's a lot of good like good singalongs or not even singalongs, but verses. Like that's a tough thing in hardcore too. Is is to write a memorable verse. Like Gorilla Biscuits is the best at it. Like you you could sing every one of their verses. But then there's other bands where it's just like da 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 da. Okay, chorus. This is the part that I remember. You know. Yeah, and the breakdown. <laughs> right. We were brothers. You and me were say... to the hardcore scene. Anyway. I thought the answer goes to then something happened to you. You changed. You know what I mean? Chris, go ahead. Um, I'm going to disagree with Ben on uh, this record. Still stands the test of time for me. Uh, the tones, like the guitar tones, are are, are weak uh, in retrospect. And, and it doesn't sound as, as big as, you know, modern hardcore, obviously, but like the songs I think are awesome. Thing that I don't like is that the reissue, the way they do this record, the next record, they do like every other song. And so it's really hard to listen to because it's just like, yeah, it's, it's abrasive. Like, I, I wish they would have done them like back to back instead of every other song because it's just, it's just really abrasive and like, I feel like if they would have done them back to back, I would be perfectly content listening to until the end. And then when that's over, I'm listening to, I can't remember what the next one's called, but, um, but because it's back to back, I just end up skipping the second or the next record. Song. The, ne- the next one is, is also, uh, not as strong of an LP, uh, whatever it takes. Mm-hmm. It went too melodic in my opinion. They just yeah. they went a little. Yeah. little Their formula little. was perfect on until the end. Yeah, and that you know I don't want to I don't like to say too many negative things on this pod, but that reissue is a fucking bummer. Like they should have just reissued the LP. Shit, like yeah. you mm-hmm. know. Well, it's like that's another contention record. Rev picked up. Uh, Call on my brothers. Just put it out as Rev. Like I don't know. Into, oh really? Yeah. Until yeah, it, or it came out on contention, right? And then it was on. Then Rev did it. Uh, conversion. Conversion. conversion my Genesis. Bad. Genesis yeah, 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 my bad. Yeah, conversion, and then same thing. Battery is the same. 
on conversion. It's like, I wish Rev just like repressed it. Cause until the end right now is like, it's a pretty expensive record. I don't even have it. I have the lost and found version. Um, shout out lost and found, but yeah, <laughs> I, I just, I wish they would have, I wish they would have done it a proper release. Or if you want to do a discography, do a discography, but that was a, that was a bummer. I would like to hope that it was like a band member's vision, you know, and then I can kind of get behind it, but otherwise bummer. Um, what about that? The intro on the, the rebirth of hardcore comp, I guess it was at the whiskey, which I was at where he goes, this one goes out to all you macho pieces of shit out there. It's called go back to the gym. You fucking asshole. Like, I love that. Like, great, great. Like spoken intro. <laughs> yeah. The, the, anti, the, the anti-mosh call. Um, okay. Uh, Ignite does past our means 12 inch 97, a their first seven inch. Okay. Shout so out I, Janosch. Yeah. So I pulled out, shout out Janosch. Um, so I pulled the 97, a, the better off dead seven inch. We kind of brushed on it. The important thing here is more so that Chris does teamwork records. Um, and I guess, yeah, it's important for that. I love this. I love this seven inch just real quick. Like when it, came out i didn't really like it as much as any of the other stuff but as i go back and listen to it it's probably one of my more favorite of all a lot of them just it's so intense and raw and pissed off take it it's cool i liked it a lot then i i can't lie um i also pulled out the hands tied seven inch here this is cool this is tim really good yeah in retrospect at the time i thought it was okay and it's the thing that I think has um, aged better than I liked it at the time. Well, it's that? probably aged better than mouthpiece. Maybe. Oh, definitely, definitely. And it's more youth crew, you know. As we're yeah, he does. Yeah, he does a good job with the dynamics and the vocals, like kind of how we were talking about uh, the battery doing so well with that. That's something that stands yeah. out on it's the an, image. It's an intentional throwback, like mouthpiece was just playing hardcore and by hands tied, it was all we're, we're leaning hard into this 88 thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I think I want to say out of all these records we're talking about, I might have listened to this one the most now that I'm thinking, no mouthpiece, mouthpiece and hands tied, but I listened to the, the shit out of this mouth, this hands tied EP. I think the CD had extra tracks on it, maybe two extra tracks on it. This is also notable because it's Equal Visions. Uh, they're doing their first record of this style. Um, and they would be notable for some of the other bands because they do Floor Punch, Ten Yard Fight, etc. Um, Bane. Yeah, Bane. So, okay. So, hands tied. That's that. And, oh, one of my favorite, favorite. And this holds up. And uh, fun fact that most, uh, I think everyone on the pod knows, but Todd Jones's nickname used to be body bag because he loved the seven inch so much, <laughs> you know, and, and you, you know, did too. We all did like this fucking seven inch is great. Yeah. It is so catchy and good. And it's like, you know, Ronnie little does such a good job of writing lyrics with like the tongue firmly planted in the cheek, you know, but also kind of meaning it. Well, in the same way that like, you know how you refer to floor punches being mean, you know, and, and I don't pick that up as much, but it's kind of the same sentiment as this. It's like, yeah, we're saying some shit, you know, like, 
This is snark. This is more snarky. This is than snarkier. It is mean. This is snarkier. Yeah. they're both. Yeah, they both have a little bit it's of like that the, edge. Yeah, it's like the musical embodiment of his zine. You know. Yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah. Whereas, whereas, like Lance's embodiment, his faded gray, you know, from Help fanzine, like this is the uh, embodiment of his. But yeah, hey, remember I, I sent you guys that Rancor live show today uh-huh. uh, on YouTube. I don't know if you watched it, but there's a funny thing like uh, Ronnie Little's up front, like with with his shirt off because it's obviously a hot ass like Legionnaire uh, show. And uh, the singer of Rancor goes, hey, shout out to Ronnie Little for coming to the show in a fur coat. And it's just because he's got a super hairy chest. <laughs> <laughs> and it's such a burn. It's great. And they say, and then they start blasting him for maybe you can get some of that transplanted on the, to the top of your head. <laughs> <laughs> some good burns. Some but yes, yeah, I mean, the statement of, <laughs> you know, Send it back to the long hairs in a body bag. Could there be a more blatant, like, I am sick of metal being in hardcore line than that line? No, and especially not and like it, it is a build up part, too, right? So it's like a gang vocal, yeah. like pylon part. Send yeah. it back to the long hairs in a body yeah. bag. So good. Yeah. The other thing they do is they, they hit on multiple tempos too. Cause like they have some songs that are like the scissor beat. They have songs that are a straight double time, fast beat. They got mid tempo. They got everything. Like this is kind of classic in the way of like real old school, hardcore seven inches that there's so much material on here that it's like, well, this is kind of like a mini LP, you know, like yeah. this, this whole seven inch, like takes you on a journey. You know, I think there's like nine songs. I'm going to count. Them. Yeah. It's like it's nine. Yeah. That's a lot of fucking songs. Like on a seven inch. Yep. This thing is awesome. So Can't it's say a four point seven inch though, right? It's I don't like got like seven or eight. Yeah. yeah I mean, all, all of them have a fair amount, but like, this is a lot. Yeah. This is a lot for yeah. not sounding like 97 a, you know? True. So, and this is rad. And then also shout out Fred hammer. There's a repress on it's alive. That uh, or they did like multi one on contention, and then Fred did one too. Kind of cool. Um, and Matt about, Matt Smith would go on to play in Shark Attack and Terror. That's yeah. right. That's right. So, um, I love the song Three Chords because he goes. <laughs> there's four chords. Three chords. <laughs> and there's four chords. Oh, is that right? Oh, it is. Okay, it's all one. Cool. <laughs> I never. I, <laughs> Da, 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 da. Three chords. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. <laughs> three chords. That's all I need. Three. What does he say? Three chords. No fucking leads. No fucking leads. Uh, music. Yeah, like, yeah, you, like you know. know. Pay $30. To see a show. Tell you what, Sucker. dude. I can't remember. The one thing I will. Go ahead. The one thing I will say. Uh, I was talking about uh, earlier with my friend uh, Jeff. We were talking about that I was going to be like talking this kind of style of music uh, coming up. And Jeff was like, oh, because I, I brought up Rain on the Parade. And he goes, man, I thought that that was the coolest thing when I saw them at the Youth of Today reunion in 99, thinking that he was clowning Ray Capo right before 
uh, Ray Cap right before YOT played. But then when I realized he was actually being serious, I was bummed because he said that he was saying like, hardcore needs a leader and Ray has come back and blah, blah, blah. And Jeff like initially took it like, oh man, he's like being tongue in cheek, like clowning the shit out of him. But he might have been. He wasn't. Or according to Jeff, he wasn't. And that just sounds cheesy. But I wasn't there, so I I can't confirm that it was an exact thing. You you know, that it really did happen. But Jeff's not there. Another lyric I love on this seven inches. It's on your it's on your mind, you won't say it. How fucking weak. It's on my mind. Fuck yeah, I'll say it. That's, that's the, the difference, difference between, between you and me. me. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's like some love of the best shit. lyrics. And then on the second verse, I because I, I love lyricists when they just change up like a word. And that totally comes from like loving bad religion. Like they just change like a tiny bit like on the second chorus, you know? And yeah. he goes and repeats the second verse. But I think that instead of like, that's fucking weak, he goes, you're fucking meek. (laughs) (laughs) And he says, your your ire won't repress me. Your ire won't repress me. Yeah. Yeah. And that's actually uh, that same like song was on the demo, but he changed the lyrics and it got way better. So it's like a great example of doing a demo and improving a song off the demo and making it better. Yeah. That happens quite a bit. Yeah, it's just. I remember talking to Todd Jones. Yeah, I remember talking to Todd Jones maybe ten years ago, and he's all, "Yo," he said something like, uh, "Like I at the time I was in Broken Needle," and he goes, "Yo, people, there's like there was some like elitist secret message board that you needed to be invited to join that I wasn't on," and he goes, "Yo, people in that message board are comparing Broken Needle to Rain on the Parade." I'm all, "Fuck yeah!" And he's all, "That's not a compliment. Rain on the Parade hasn't held up." It's like that's your opinion, dude. <laughs> um, let's go on to ninety-seven, huh? So a ninety-seven a in ninety-seven. No, ninety-seven. We got the floor punch twin killing LP, and all this is like take note battery re-release. They just put the demo and the seven inch on an LP in their entirety, and it fucking rules. And you love it. Yeah, <laughs> and, and you love it. It rules, you know. Like this is one of the greatest things ever. Um, tenure fight, fast break, do split seven inch on big wheel slash contention. The tenure fight LP back on track. Um, but the first thing I want to pull on EVR. Yep, on EVR. Um, but I want to highlight two comps from '97, um, and that's the growing stronger seven inch, and then also the time is now seven inch. And I think that both these seven inches are super crucial for the year, and they showcase a lot yeah. of a lot of these bands. Dana, we can go to you first to speak on these. What I would say about the Growing Stronger is that is the major flagpole out of everything that is the uh, kind of the flag in the in the ground of this is a specific movement or a scene that has developed around wanting to be like this. Everything on there is uh, speaking to it. Even the Ensign song is very uh, crew on that. And I just, when I got that uh, 7-inch, like right when it came out, I was like, I, I don't think I listened to anything else for on my turntable for maybe like three to four weeks 
I just flipped it from A to B to A to B, like over and over and over again. Hey, you know what? There's a no. typo. There's a typo on Discogs. It calls Rain on the Parade song Class of 98. Oops. <laughs> um, but yeah, this is super crucial. And it's it's pretty interesting, too, because other than 97A, I don't think that this is any of these bands' best songs. But there is just something about this comp. Ooh. What do you think is the best? The Atari song? I, I was going to say, I was kind of going to go the other way. Let, let me finish. Let, I'll let you finish what you're going to say. Well, I just think that, like, I think that 97A song might be their best song. But everything else, I don't think that this is the band's best songs. But there's just something about this this comp. I don't know. It's it's hard to like compliment the sequencing because it's only three songs on each side. But just you listen to it and you do like Daniel said, like you just want to listen to it over and over and over and over and over. Like there's just something so perfect about it. Um, I think it might be the best ensign song. I love it. Yeah, I think. So what I was going to say, I was going to go kind of the exact opposite way. I, I think a lot of times bands put kind of throwaway tracks on a comp. Uh, this 7-inch, this I think at least for the band's best songs. So I think the Atari, uh, that's my favorite Atari song by far. Like It's super, it's so gen- good. It's super generic, but it's, it's awesome. Um, it's I mean, it's a song about friendship, you know. <laughs> really went outside the box on that one, but they they crushed it. Like it's cool. Uh, the Ensign song I think is their best song. It's not the best, you know, most well written song. Like some of the later stuff that they would do, um, that was a little bit more strife influence. I thought was much better, like musically. But this is my favorite song by them. Push too far. That song is like. The rest of the songs on on their seven inch, none of them even like hold a candle to that song, in my opinion. I'll give you that. Uh, that Chris. song is just I'll give you that. such a banger. But that's but the and seven then, inch isn't good. Like that's that's the only yeah. band on this comp that doesn't have like a good release. But it's baby blue. It's a beautiful looking release, but that yeah. seven inch is not good. Sorry for cutting in. Go on, Chris. Now I think those are the three main ones, and then maybe ninety-seven A. But although I, my favorite is asphyxiate, which I can't say right now because I'm choking from all the smoke coming up from California. You're asphyxiating. Yeah. Um, also, so let me just read the lineup on that for the people that don't know, or you can go on Discogs. But uh, yeah, where you are? Okay, I'm gonna read the time is now comp for you instead. Um, this one is super <laughs> crucial because it's, it's, I mean, it's the same year and it's like mostly the same bands kind of, um, I guess the one knock on this would be the, like growing stronger. The songs were exclusive. I believe did the instant song come out somewhere else eventually. Maybe, maybe not. What's, but, it, what's it called? Um, song? I, I don't have it in front of me, but, uh, I but, think it was re-recorded for for another instant record. Okay, but I think all the other songs. Right, I, think so. I think all the other songs are exclusive to Growing Stronger. Um, the time is now has Floor Punch, Hands Tied, Ray on the Parade, Tanner Fight, and Rancor. But for sure, the Floor Punch and the Ray on the Parade songs are on their seven inches, I believe. Or, or for they, sure, I believe. <laughs> do you guys? Do you guys? Um, when you got the Growing Stronger comp. Did you notice that the the red ink of the lettering is off center? 
like it doesn't match it doesn't fit inside the box of the outline of each letter like where it says growing stronger have you noticed that i don't give a fuck all right let's move on uh atari we talked about them a little bit and does anyone want to say anything else on atari i i really like the seven inch i really don't like the skate tough seven inch i don't know which came first but what yeah. Really? Yep. It tough is a demo, I think. So the dem- demo yeah, was recorded okay. first. So the demo came after. Yeah, yeah. Well, it makes sense. I have a sick Atari T-shirt that still fits. <laughs> okay, is that all on Atari? Uh, they were like, there were three. <laughs> there were like three bands that were kind of all from Eastern Pennsylvania that I loved, and none of them came to the West Coast. It was Atari, Rancor, and Rain on the Parade. Those like the three bands of the, all the bands we're talking about that I never got to see that I would have liked to have seen. I never saw Atari, but I really loved the We'll Be Fighting 7-inch. Um, Face It, Where Were You? Those songs are so good. Where were you when none of this was cool? Yeah. Anywhere but here! So good. so good. So good. Yeah, love it. Uh, that's the Atari 7-inch. And we can talk about... And- Go ahead. Well, I was gonna, I was gonna just say something like around around this time because, you know, we, we were lovingly describing Atari as octave core, <laughs> you know, like going wild with octaves. But around this time, um, or this year, Bain puts out two seven inches that, at the time, obviously Bain is not really become that like youth crewy thing but at the time that those seven inches were hit in california they were kind of lumped in with this scene mm-hmm. especially sharing members with uh converge you know, oh uh. yeah and <laughs> yeah and uh you know just being of the same ilk of 10 yard fight you know and in my eyes um so it, it's interesting that bane comes out this time and we didn't really put them on the list but i just want to you know nod to the two seven inch. there's the fork tongue seven inch and then there's the free to think free to be which has superhero which may be up there in the top 10 hardcore songs ever written yeah but that's not even youth crew stuff let's not talk about being (laughs) the song count me out might come close-ish but yeah they're more like burn yes definitely Right. I mean, if we're not talking about Oakland powerhouse on here, then Bean's not making it either. Both. Yeah, true. I'm just saying at the time that these bands were all hitting and we were celebrating this kind of youthful revival, Bane were lumped into this. Just on a zeitgeist level, I'm not saying like they sound like this, but I'm saying for a historical nod to it. Um, well, that just opens we were, up. It just we opens up. Those. It opens up the whole other can of worms, though, because that's like we're liking anything that has fast parts and isn't metal. So then like we're opening up. Yeah. To a bunch of other stuff. That's all. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, I was, I was, I was driving what four hours to see built to last like play and leave, you know, like that's how bad I wanted real hardcore. So yeah. (laughs) Leave him before Palpatine. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I I see how it is. Is Palpatine headlining over built to last. Uh, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> we were just drinking in the parking lot during Palpatine. Yeah. You know, it's a long drive home if you don't have a few beers in you. You weren't um, ready. 
you weren't you weren't ready for it. Okay. <laughs> right. Um also in ninety seven. Oh my god. Is see we're in like the era where it's too much to rail off. Um Yeah. So yeah, let's go on Rancor. The flip the switch seven inch. It is again super catchy, especially tougher than a Tonga truck. You can't run because you're out of luck. So good. <laughs> it's like a great That's the first line I think of. Yeah, it's the best. And so many good so many good lines. Yeah, so good. Um second seven inch might even be like more competently written and still like in this genre, but there's some just wild, wild style yeah. about flip the switch. So is that what's the one that has hide behind your baggy pants while I assume my hardcore stance? <laughs> <laughs> so sick. All right. I'm one ahead, but you're two behind. When you look in the mirror, what do you find? <laughs> so good. <laughs> Before I even heard this band, I knew I was going to love it because, like, a Star Wars reference and hardcore, like, I love Stormtrooper fanzine. I love Rancor. I love anything that, like... You're the band called Palpatine? Yeah. Anything like that, I was just, like, absolutely in love with one other thing about rancor i think more than any of these other bands that we mentioned they kind of embodied like the spirit of that era like they're almost kind of like a caricature of you know what you think about when you think about young blood records and uh, in that era so i think that's even more than like their music like just as an embodiment and band really kind of stood out to me as like almost a defining band of that era yeah, so good, the seven inch. Um, now we alluded earlier about like Europe bringing it strong in the later nineties because they were they were still going in the early nineties, but uh, they come with it here in the the late nineties. I wanted to mention the compilation for the sake of dedication, and then also I want to talk about eyeball sportswear and uh, main strike. Um, Daniel, what do you want to say on these guys? One thing that um, the Crucial Response records and they always had beautiful layouts, amazing pictures. The shows looked like they were so fucking rad. And um, they obviously unabashedly, unashamed love for what hardcore is. Like it comes across hugely and um you know the one thing americans do uh that is pretty shameful is they lump in everything as euro do you know what i mean they don't like say oh this norwegian band is sick and this german band is awesome and this dutch band rips like it's uh, all that euro shit like it's cool um Whereas we don't think, you know, obviously these bands played each other's countries and stuff, much like American bands would play each other's states. But I just think of of this, like, almost like Underground Railroad of awesome, like, love of core just from country to country and, and the scenes mingling and, and uh, just seeing it in those photos looks amazing, you know? I, I really respect the amount of heart that is on the sleeve with these records and they rip the sportswear seven inches are some of the best like straight ahead blazing youth crew hardcore you can get 
Yeah, those recordings sonically are are maybe my favorites. They sound like so yeah. beefy and gnarly, and everything about them is is so fucking and, good. And the first eyeball seven inch is fucking awesome. So hard talking, talking Yeah, so good. It's so a hard. I think they what a lot of like American bands at that time missed that they captured well is like youth crew hardcore is not supposed to be like you know like the stereotypical posy core kind of like safe music it's supposed to be like hard pissed off aggressive hardcore and eyeball did it like youth of the day did it you know yeah like they they channel break down the walls more than they channel we're not in this alone you know like it's angry and you know it but we're not in this alone is too never mind i'll just shut up Uh, I wanted to talk about um, sportswear. I think the like this when those two seven inches came out, I was like, "Fuck yeah, this rules!" And then when that LP came out on Super Soul, that um, you know Ray Capo put it out, and they were they they actually uh, went to New York to record it with Don Fury. And to me, it sounds like bold worship, but like with a better recording. You know, like those bold the bold album isn't very well recorded. Mm-hmm. Which and it wasn't recorded at Dawn Theory and it should have been. And so it's like like it hits that everything that I love about Bold, um while being sonically superior. And there's just so many good songs on that sportswear LP. And I think they that, that like they had the misfortune I wouldn't even say misfortune because they chose to name themselves knowing what they were getting themselves into. But like people think of them as a joke because they're called sportswear. Like they don't take the band seriously. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, there's a band called Sportswear. Are you fucking kidding me? And it's just like, well, that's a shame because they're a really good band. <laughs> I don't know what to say, you know. And yeah. um, I mean, it's like some other bands name themselves after a sportswear brand too. Um, Shameful. Oh god, I can't remember their name now. New but... Balance. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Clear conscience. <laughs> Trying to change the name of New Balance. Um, and then the other the other band on crucial response from this era that I really like is uh, Tiebreak, who are also from Norway. See, I'm not, not saying Euro, Norwegian, Swedish. <laughs> and, and Tiebreak only put out one seven inch in 90, I don't know, I would guess 98 on crucial response. Well, yeah, it's called Stand Hard 98. And um, they have this one song with the lyric, sooner or later, the kids will fuck your ass. <laughs> and they have another song with the lyric with the lyric I'll I'll laugh you in the fucking face. I'll laugh you in the fucking face. <laughs> but it's really good. I don't I mean I'm making it sound like it's a fucking joke and they're called tiebreak or another sports reference. But like it's fucking good. Just listen to it. Whatever. It'll take you like seven minutes to get through the whole record. Anyway, those are my two crucial response picks. I gotta say that I I love No Passing Phase. The first Main Strike LP, I can leave it, but the second one, I fucking love it. So for me, it's the two sports fair this two sportswear seven inches, it's the eyeball talking straight, and it's main strike, no passing phase, and the for the sake of dedication compilation. Um What's this? yeah, the for the sake of dedication comp is really great. Yeah, and they pull it in, looks cool too. It looks cool. They pull in some American bands as well. So they, they highlight like Plagued with Rage and they have Over the Line that we didn't talk about on this episode, but has a very standout demo for the era. Um, the Over the Line demo is awesome. 
and it got re-released on seven inch as well. Um, and floor punch half mast they're on here, but then you got sportswear eyeball main strike. It's a great comp. People should, uh, hunt down. I'm sure it's affordable on discogs. Yeah. The um, thing I remember about this, this comp CD too, was, uh, this is the first CD that I remember doing this, but it was a CD ROM as well, which kids today probably don't even know what that is, but you put it in your computer and, and you get like a, like a website type of an interactive thing, which was kind of cool for the time. Yeah. Super <laughs> yeah. Cool. yeah the sports, sportswear CD was like that too. And you got to, and they interviewed the members and they, while they were in New York, and they were like, what's your least favorite band? And one of them was all, Yuda today, Yuda today, they suck. And he's all laughing because it's Ray Kappa who's filming them. And then, but most of them were like, refused. I hate fucking refused. There must have been so much backlash against refused at the time because they're such a big, huge band. Um, but yeah, CD ROMs. Shout out to CD ROMs. Such a, a dead art. Chris, what is your favorite? I'm very positive to ask you what your least favorite band is. Yeah, what's, I know. Chris, what's your favorite stuff here of the Daniel, you can shame me again, but of the late nineties Euro hardcore. I'm not shaming you. Chris, do you have standoffs here? Yeah, sorry, I was on mute. Uh <laughs> eyeball that eyeball seven inch uh is probably my favorite, you know, European hardcore record, maybe ever. Like it's so good. Uh the LP I didn't like as much, but this this seven inch is just four tracks of rage. Talking straight is a sick song. It is. It is. We've also talked before about how like when people do the sincere talking and like the bands that pull it off well, and that song has like some of the best sincere talking. Like the I know there's not much left of those days, man. You know, so good, <laughs> so good. Actually, I was saying talking straight, but the song I like is set in stone. Sorry. Setting Stone, such a hard song. So good. Um, also of this era, uh, you guys wanted a brush on better, better Than a Thousand. And then also we can say, um, is this is like maybe the the last time where being like an ex-member was like a super big deal, right? Like this is Ray Capo doing like a straightforward hardcore band again. And like that was all you needed to be popular. You know, like, I don't know if, mm-hmm. if you did it, if someone did that today, like, I don't think X members carry as much weight now as they did at that time. Um, Ben, certainly did you not. want to, oh, Chris, you want to talk on that? Uh, I just said, certainly not. I think one thing that's interesting, it, this is my opinion, maybe not be reflective of yours, but like those last few shelter records before this, all of them had like two to four hardcore songs. And I always thought those songs were awesome. Like maybe more like uniform choice inspired. Uh, and so when, when better than a thousand came out, there was a lot of excitement that there was going to be a band now where he could do that style and continue it. But it came out and I was just thought like the hardcore shelter songs were way better than better than a thousand. And so and this was, this was Ken Olden from battery. You know, you were like yeah. thinking it was going to be awesome. And it was just like, cause he was like Brian with those, uh, those lyrics over top or, you yeah. know, that, that style just didn't work for, for Ray and, style, maybe, I don't know. And, what band had Jeff Newman done before? Was it In My Eyes or was it 
was in my eyes after this. He joined oh, okay. in my eyes as a five piece um, oh, for okay. the second album, maybe, or definitely this the last tour. Okay, that makes sense. I I just remember the better than a thousand show at the showcase, and you know it being packed to the gills. Um, and I remember Ray just str- doing yoga stretching during their intro, and I was just like, "Fuck no!" <laughs> like so loud from the second level at showcase i was like fuck this guy coming back and everyone sucking his dick i was so not having it so i didn't i didn't listen to this record for maybe 10 plus years i the whole like super soul and all of that stuff i just the celebration of these sellouts i was so mad for so many years that i never gave any of it a chance and just hated on it in principle. And uh, when I've checked out the Better Than a Thousand Records since, I've just been like, oh, this is boring. Yeah. So and much I, better stuff. I loved it when it came out. The the Actually, both albums I loved when they came out. And, and they're just not good. Like, they haven't... I wouldn't even say they haven't stood the test of time. I would just say I was just fucking wrong like 23 <laughs> years ago. I was just, just psyched that the guy from Youth of Today is back. Yeah, yeah. And like, it's understandable that they were a big deal out of the gate because what are we even talking about? Youth crew. Yeah. Like, what is that? It's bands that sound like youth of today yeah. or, or that whole scene. Like he, yeah. he was the linchpin of that entire, he co-founded revelation records. And yeah. so it's like, of course, you know, it's going to be a big deal when he comes back with a, with a straight up hardcore band. But like, listen to better than a thousand back to back with youth of today oh my god no comparison not even close well the song even, the song back to back with those shelter songs yeah yeah, yeah well I agree. also that song live today ripped so like and i think that that might have come out before the lp like on a comp and then on a sampler. right okay so it's on a sampler and then it's like it's one of the first songs on the record and it's like oh like that's their one ripper like I felt like I got like a bad butt rock record, you know, like oh you like a you like a hit song that's on MTV when you're like nine or ten, you know, and like you go get like the White Lion record and it's like, oh that one song on MTV was like the only good song, like oh Live Today like that song rips and all this other stuff is really boring, and that was hard, dude, because I loved all this shit when I was like seventeen, and like for something to not hit, it's like it must have really not been that great um but i will say with the the listing of members you know you expected it to be a crusher yeah now i do want to shout out i do want to shout out for super soul though because the comp that they put out i think it's 99 i love that compilation there's so much good shit on there um so everyone should track down the super soul comp um but the giant poster of of straight ed stage diving it's sick yeah. Onto Jeff Pelly's head. Okay. I'd just like to leave a message to the Bhagavat. <laughs> okay. If I may. Give me that record over any <laughs> any of those yeah. better than a thousand records. Definitely. I like Mantra better as well. All right. Go ahead, Zach. What are we on to next? Uh, we should touch on In My Eyes. The demo comes out in 97. And uh, let's oh. talk about In My Eyes. Although, let's keep in mind that we did talk a fair amount about the second LP uh, two weeks ago on the Revelation episode. So check out that pod. Yeah. 
Um, but Ben, let's go to you first on wise. Okay, so um, um, Anthony Papalardo gets kicked out of ten yard fight because um, he's not getting along with the members, and he wants and they and uh, they want to make a basketball jersey that says ten yard fight on it, and he's adamantly opposed to that because they're a football theme band, not a basketball theme band. And then he 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 moves up the street and then forms in my eyes with this guy named Sweet Pete. Who I guess he was was Sweet Pete ever in a band before in my eyes? I don't think he was. I don't think so. He's just this guy everyone knew, right? Mm -hmm. And so they start this band, and like literally the second they start, everyone knows who they are. Like they tour the they tour the the U.S. or at least they tour out to the West Coast within four months of forming and everyone has the demo out here. It's like everything happens so fast for them. And I mean, it, which is great because it's, they're a really good band. Like, um, I just wish that would happen more often with really good bands. Um, and then, uh, the demo is really good. Like I said, on the previous pod, the best thing they ever did is the second album, nothing to hide. Uh, the first LP comes out in 98, um, and it has that plus head art on it, and it's decent. Um, got that shit on red vinyl, only 87 made. I just happened to show up at Rev the day that they got those records. They're like, yo, this just showed up. I'm like, okay, I'll buy one. So, like, I got some ultra-rare record by virtue of just being at the right place at the right time. But the, when they came... Uh, in the summer of 97 they played laser star. I didn't go to that show. I did see them at the showcase. Um, and, uh, the thing about them live though, and tell me if you guys agree with me, sweet Pete would get winded and he'd kind of like put the mic in the audience a little too much. Like he wouldn't do enough singing into the mic. Do you get that vibe? I don't know. I wasn't, I was psyched. I was in the the mic time. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. I never noticed that, but I noticed he would throw in swear words that weren't in the lyrics. Like he'd be like, "Who's to say you fucking mind will fucking change?" Mister <laughs> fucking day. That's cool. I, and I remember seeing him in Santa Barbara at that bar that was the upstairs, and like um, there was this kind of shroud thing that was covering the entire audience area, and I was like on top of the audience and I pulled that thing down and it covered the entire audience. Like we were all underneath a blanket, not a blanket, but like a, you know, a thin piece of fabric. That was a, a fun moment. I feel I with, in my eyes, the, um, the thing that they did so well is that they brought the live show that surpassed the way they sounded on the demo and the seven inches and stuff. Uh, and the first LP they created like a really fucking crucial performance that got you psyched, you know? And also they toured and played with bands that they didn't sound like. So they really stood out on the bill. Do you know what I mean? Like they came and played with some more harder metally sounding bands in California and they stood out uh, greatly because of it. Yeah, I think that they were a, a great live band, and I would say that this this is weird to say, and I don't know if I'm going to say it the right way, but there was a level of like so a lot of this youth group stuff of this era, I think it has a lot of like YOLO vibe to it, and that's 
what makes it great, but it's also like kind of a niche, right? Like, what do you love about Rancor? It's just that they go for it. But like, I don't know if you put them on a stage with like other, like more professional bands, like do they hold up in that environment or are they better off like in a small room on the floor with like everyone piling on where I think that of these bands, like maybe in my eyes was the most professional, you know, like, and so in a way, like they're maybe the greatest thing about them is they're, they're given glory to the style by like, they're being somewhat creative with it, but it is very straightforward for like the demo, the LP, the first LP, but they're like very competent players. The live show is like on point. And so they're playing this style. I don't know with maybe just a level of professionalism. And that probably also comes because they toured more than the other bands. And like, I think it was Daniel that was saying that they're playing with bands of different genres. So like you do have to hold up. Like if, if you're playing, and like Adamantium's playing next in their hometown, like you, you got to bring it, right? Like you can't go up and and be sloppy. They weren't sloppy at all, and and that might be the best thing about them. And then also like it's so weird, but maybe that's like a little bit of a knock for like the the LP eras. Maybe it is like I don't know. It, maybe it doesn't have like a lot of that YOLO vibe, and maybe I want a little bit more of that. But I would say that like. I don't know. They're just very professional and competent. And like you saw them, like they delivered the LPs. You listen to them, they deliver. Like it's just straightforward, good, hardcore. Um, ben, what do you think? Yeah, that's well put. Um, I was going to say, I saw them at the uh, showcase kind of the last time they came out and Throwdown played after them and people left before Throwdown played. And that was the one time where I'm like, we won. But it's like, nah, it was just because Throwdown had played so much so at the same venue so recently that, um, and maybe there were a lot of like youth crew dudes who didn't care about Throwdown who showed up just to see, because it was, it was billed as the last in my eyes tour. You know, they were already saying that they were, they were breaking up. So that was a, cause normally Throwdown at the showcase is like, you're not going to get a better response than that band at that venue. Right. Chris, do you have anything else on EMIs before we move on? Uh, yeah, a couple things. I think first, uh, I like how Ben touched on like how they exploded out of the gates. I remember like same, same thing for me. Like, you know, the demo was omnipresent. It was everywhere. Uh, and there was a lot of hype. Like I remember reading in Ronnie Little's fanzine that, like right out of the gates off that demo, like basically Rev and Victory were fighting over them, basically. Uh, and and Ronnie and his typical uh, just hating Victory Records was just like hoping that <laughs> that the Bulldog would lose. <laughs> um, I think the other thing, uh, just to touch on this, because I think you guys, like musically, aesthetically, like their live show. You know, the other thing that made them important for this era is like the the people in this band, as well as like Floor Punch and, and Mouthpiece and some of the others. But uh, they were definitely tastemakers. Like I, I, we can talk about these without talking about how the Rev Board was and the Mullet Board, and like I think a lot of people got. Uh, a lot of influence about what they listen to and, and what they dress like and, 
And, you know, I remember threads about like what <laughs> as cheesy as it is. And it's totally cheesy. Like there were threads about like the most positive haircut styles you could have, you know, <laughs> like people talking about pause tops and like, it was, you know, probably what ultimately killed this genre in, in large <laughs> part, but like def- definitely those dudes were like tastemakers. Yeah, that's a good point. Daniel, anything else in my eyes before we move on? Uh, pause tops rule. <laughs> All right. We do I have had, to. I had one when I had hair. <laughs> okay. We do have to touch on good, clean, fun because they were like a big deal Massive. at the time, which is so hard to like put your finger on now, but because like, I mean, I guess part of it would just be they toured. Right. So like there was a lot of us out here on the West coast that like loved all this East coast hardcore. And there weren't many bands that made it out here or they made it out once, you know, like floor punch came once tenure fight came, I think just once right Ben. I, I want to say, uh, I can't remember. I'm not, I can't remember. Okay. But I just feel like, you know, and then we'd said like, you know, rank or rain on the parade, Atari, like these bands never make it out here. So I don't know. I guess good, clean fun was a little bit of taste. Plus say like in our area, there was a little bit of a rub cause Mike fight like ran the pickle patch forever. So, you know, you want to support Mike fight and uh, yeah, they do who shares wins and shopping for a crew 1998. Um, these are pretty terrible seven inches, but they were like really popular. Maybe they were so like inclusive and positive that, you know, people that thought some of this stuff was jockey, like they were into it, you know? And then just, I guess anyone that wanted to have a good time was kind of into it. Um, Daniel, what do you think about this? Well, I feel obviously it hasn't aged very well, but what I will say about it, at the time, it was a joke that was very funny at the time. Uh, the lyrics were quite well written. Uh, the songs were really catchy. Like, it was a really good vibe at their shows initially, you know, the first two times they came around. And then, the you know, the joke kind of wears off. And there's nothing worse than beating a drum. You know, if they'd gone away, after maybe like two tours or something, instead of like, oh, we get to tour the whole world, you know, all the time and and profit off of this. It wouldn't be looked back on with disdain. You know, like if those two seven inches had come out and that had been it and they toured for maybe a year and a half, two years and gone away, I think they'd be revered alongside, you know, something that, was quirky but really fun and cool but god damn they beat this dead horse into <laughs> it being glue <laughs> you know it, <laughs> it, they ruined it they well Issa ruined it uh, by just doing it to excess and apparently I mean uh, allegedly ripped a lot of people off along the way and all kinds of stuff that make it even a bit more sinister but when the first two seven inches came out, or the seven inch and then the shopping for a crew Euro uh, release, I I thought they were pretty great and I really enjoyed them at the time. But God, I couldn't. 
force myself to go back now. Yeah, this yeah. is this <laughs> is this is like one of my worst like record non trades of all time. Like I had a promo of the shopping for the cruise seven inch, which at the time was like worth a shit ton of money. And it was like, man, I should have let go of that record then. You know, I like waited. It's like, it's like, you know, I'm also stuck with a bunch of DVDs in my attic. You know, it's like, God damn it. I should have sold them five years like ago when I could have, you know, but, uh, yeah. Chris, what do you have on good clean fun? Yeah. Uh, first off, endless love the Mike fight. Love the dude. Uh, he put out the first champion record. Um, as well as, uh, you know, botch and some, some other records put out committed record, which, uh, We'll touch on super briefly a little bit later, but awesome record. Um, yeah, I, I echo what Dan Daniel said about like the first two seven inches. They were clever and they were fun, uh, but ultimately kind of jumped the shark uh, soon after. I think another thing that really kind of led to their um, their popularity is they, like we mentioned with the In My Eyes, would play with anyone, you know, like you would see them playing with Martyr AD or Throwdown or, you know, whoever. And and as a result, you know, you would go to their shows and you would see, at that era, you would see a kid in a, you know, floor punch shirt and a kid in a Martyr AD shirt and a kid in a, you know, crew letter shirt, like, they had a lot of fans like spanning a lot because they would go and uh, play with these bands and, and it was a fun environment and people liked to have fun at hardcore would gravitate to it. Ben, also, uh, I don't know if you, I don't know if you guys remember, but I filled in on guitar for a uh, one us tour for them. I was trying to let you off the hook and not I mention remember. that. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, do you, have, was, do you oh, have anything to say about that? Uh, like I said, love Mike, love, uh, the dr- dude that played drums on that tour was awesome. Uh, was it Andrew? No, nah, it was Alex. Andrew was awesome too, but, uh, the student Alex, he plays in American Nightmare actually now, and he's been at bald and a couple other bands. He's in Baby Goal, <laughs> although he didn't get on the record. I said, you- oh, you dodged that bullet. <laughs> and you- then the guitar- other guitar player in the band I hated and wanted to fight. Who, John? Who was that? Nah, he was just some weird dude from Rhode Island who like joined the tour like halfway through. Oh, okay. Never seen him again since. But you didn't like Issa by the end of it? I mean, you know. No. He was, you know. Let, let, let Posse Chris be Posse Chris, man. Let's not put him in a corner. <laughs> ben, what do you got on? Uh... Fight, fight was my dude, though. There you go. One thing I will, one thing I will say uh, about this, about uh, they were very female forward in their approach uh, on a couple of songs, like making that a point at a time where it really wasn't mentioned except for in very, very political, you know, in a, in a very riot girl sense. Uh, they were doing it, speaking to people, like bringing back the kind of seven seconds, not just boys fun vibes, mm-hmm. um, which I, I, I do applaud. But, you know, there are plenty of stories of that it was just lip service, apparently. But I, as people who get records and listen to them, it is an important message. And I think that's awesome. But, yeah, they suck. 
Okay. Jesus Christ. <laughs> ben, 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 wrap up Good Clean Fun and let's move on. Okay, Good Clean Fun, fight. Mike, fight. He put out the second Fields of Fire record. The, yeah, the, that's keep, right. We keep, were it alive, keep It Alive CD that has K-Punks on it. Um, um, so he's a good dude. And when I remember when Mike was still living at the Pickle Patch and he goes, Dude, I'm learning how to play bass. I'm going to join Good Clean Fun. It's like you don't know, even know how to play bass, and you're going to learn just to join this band. And he did it. He pulled it off. Um, but I remember seeing them, and their shows were fun. And and uh, I remember Issa rubbed me the wrong way. We I I was in the van with them coming down back from Gilman, and and he said, Her, he was listening to um, I I don't remember what it was like. Uh, get up kids or something like that in the in the van and it was like four straight hours of listening to like you know alternative rock music or whatever and i and then he, i go hey so like out of the blue i'm like hey so you, you guys like hardcore <laughs> and everyone burst out laughing and he and isa goes you can fit every good hardcore song ever recorded onto four uh 80 minute burn cdrs he, he said that to me and i thought so you don't like hardcore like like really you like so so few things from this genre that you can fit them on you're telling me you can fit them on four cds like what the fuck but um the thing about i i totally agree with dan it's like they when you the thing about comedy because that's what they were they were doing like humorous music is that once you know the joke it you can't say the same joke again and get the same effect over and over again and get the same effect like like so they like jokey bands burn bright and then they burn out fast that that's except for um what's his what's his name um um weird al yankovic i don't know how weird al yankovic manages to to, to pull it off over and over again maybe it's because he you know finds whatever the hit song is on the radio now and makes fun of that so maybe because he, he rules yeah, he's he's great, <laughs> but but most jokey stuff doesn't doesn't stand the test of time. Okay. The one thing I will add on is uh, Mike Fight put out an OMDB split with Timex as well, so we're all in the family. That's right. Oh shit! Not me. What up, Mike Fight? Where are you at? <laughs> all right, dude. Him and Youngblood both both spurning you. Fuck. <laughs> oh, what can you do? Um, okay, so let's also mention 1998, the committed, the pride we share seven inch. Um, this was a standout, um, of the era, I believe. Super, super good seven inch. How do you guys feel? Super straight edge, super youth of today sounding, super youth proof, super, uh, collegiate letters, everything about it. Yes, 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 yes. I love it. And it's Clevo not sounding like Clevo. But it does have that Clevo hardness. Yeah, because it's probably recorded at Mars. You know, I went to some rocks in Santa above Santa Barbara and, and with with uh, committed after they played the Pickle Patch, and that dude John Millen jumped off a cliff into yeah, a small body of water that had to have been a hundred feet high, and he was just so calm about it. He goes, "Oh, is this where I'm supposed to stand?" Okay, and he just jumps. I'm like, "You, you have." Nerves of steel. It's incredible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, they covered "Get It Away" live too, and fucking slayed it. Like they actually did, like the 
the high notes, you know, like wow, so good. Because like I've I've heard a lot of bands cover that and they skip that part, and it's like, man, that's a part that makes that song so special, you know. But yeah, this seven inch ripped. Um, let's see. We should also mention before we wrap this up um, on Young Bud, carry on the second seven inch they do. The line is drawn. This is. There's not a lot of West Coast stuff in here, and maybe we should brush on that briefly. Um, all this stuff is on the East Coast, and then we're mentioning Cleveland, and there's there's a lot of other, you know, it like it it stretches like across the Great Lakes too, but there's no California bands that are really doing this style too much. Um, you know, mentioned Powerhouse, Built to Last, Early Hoods, Rely, Rely. Uh, show of hands, um, my band, Voice of Defiance, and then Stand Your Ground, uh, certain bands like that, uh, Redemption 87, Ignite, of course, but like no Model one, American, model, oh, yeah, Model American. Um, you have you have a lot of stuff that's like not metal, fast, hardcore punk, or like in those styles, but it's not like super, super youth crew. Right, and I don't know why that is. Maybe it's a little too much. Like it's more of a punk influence influencing California. Then nothing goes like all the way there. Um, I'm not 100 percent sure why. Daniel, do you have any ideas on this? I I just yeah I think uh, the the real hotbeds of of California hardcore have stronger um, hearts pumping out a different kind of blood. Whereas on the East coast, that heart of this is regimented there and is pumping it out. You know, there were youth crew kids in our scenes from the entire early nineties till, you know, straight through to the two thousands, like people that lived it, dressed it, X watched the whole deal, but it wasn't musically represented full on until this line is drawn seven inch, you know? Right. I uh, feel, you, you know, I think, I think that's a really good call that this is the first record that not only is it influenced obviously by the rev stuff, but it's actually influenced by the floor punch and the, uh, in my eyes and the 10 yard fights. It, that's where carry on does their switch. Not because of, Oh, we want to sound like, early rev we want to sound like these 97 or 95 96 97 bands you know right and they just do it for one seven inch because the 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 one where todd comes on and starts writing takes a turn and it it is still like kind of in the style but it's it's way more aggressive this is like full youth crew this one is more in my eyes and the next one is more like the aggression of floor punch do you know what i mean well the next one is ripe ripe brigade so, True. Um, Chris, what do you want to say on, on this carry on seven inch? Uh, cool seven inch. Uh, I like the next one better. And, <clears throat> but I think up the seven inch, like what once was, is the standout track for me. Like, um, such a catchy, you know, making a comeback 10 years later, that song. Uh, love it. What? What? And Ben, what do you want to say on this? a good record i got it when it came out uh um i i want to say jordan johnson wrote most of the music on it mm-hmm. but, um 
and it's funny, Jordan and Corey were the two guitarists at the time. And, and like, I remember Corey was like, I hate punk music and I hate bold. I'm like, do we have anything in common? How are you even in a band I like? And Jordan Johnson was like the opposite. He was like, fuck yeah, I love bold. I'm like, fuck yeah, dude. <laughs> um, but Corey's a great guy, of course. I, it was just like, wow, we don't have much in common musically, even though you play music I like. Um, but uh, Line is Drawn is good. I think Carry On Peach with the LP, uh, which we're not talking about because that's not really as youth crewy and that's not the same decade. Huh. Um, but I never even thought about that until today that this is the first, this is like the only like, like through and through like textbook example of like a youth crew record from California from the, from the late 90s. Like, because Collision and and Circle Storm and Lights Hall, like they're all doing a little bit, they're all doing things a little bit differently. Yeah, and what makes this literally fall into like this is the map of youth crew is that they go take an Edgeman like X'd up picture for the cover. The whole thing looks super crucial. Uh, Youngblood always makes their records look so good. And um, I love the the way the backups are on this uh, record. Like, um, Actually, the backups on every Carry On LP are, are planned out, or Carry On release are planned out awesome. But the way that they really land on this in to really enhance the, the youth crewism is, is awesome. I love the 7-inch. I, uh, I still play it often. We so should have that song. It's over on it. Mm-hmm. It's over. It's over. I turn my back. You hit the bong. I remember that lyric. It's kind of fun. Yeah. Uh, we should say that collision is pretty close, and they should probably yeah. get mentioned in here as well. Um, at least the first seven. And um, Ambassador Records doing you know a lot for straight ahead hardcore, touching on youth crew stuff at the time as well, which uh, Steve from Ambassador was in Collision. And Collision were, yeah, them are built to last. Uh, they just probably like Sick of It All a little too much to be, youth, you know, youth group, but they were both mega important bands around this time for straight ahead hardcore in SoCal. Okay. The last thing and I want, the last thing that I want to brush on here for the nineties is time flies and count me out. Cause I think that they're, their bridge bands uh, to bridge out of the nineties. And also we can, we can include EMIs cause the, the second LP is when Ben. 99 or 2000. Okay. Feb, Feb 2000, I think. Okay. Right. So like they bridge into that count me out time flies, um, carry on. They all bridge into the early two thousands. Um, and so, yeah, let's talk time flies and count me out a little bit here. Uh, Daniel, let's go to you. Well, I mean, if we're going to talk Count Me Out, we're talking one of my, you know, top 10 hardcore bands. Of that, well, uh, top 20 hardcore bands of all time for me, if not top 10. Um, I absolutely love them. Mazzola's voice is so awesome because it is a really aggressive, sound without an aggressive attack. Do you know what I mean? 
it's like a very strong, hard sound, but he's not like he's not screaming past his he's not blowing out his voice like with aggression. It's very controlled and it it sounds amazing. And I think uh both these bands are from Richmond and both like share a couple well, they share a couple members, but they're both brilliant bands uh that really know how to apply just the right amount of melody while still uh having fast strong hardcore songs chris let's go to you on these bands uh love all these bands uh count me out uh Daniel encapsulated everything perfectly, but like just the, the style of kind of taking that chain of strength tempo and putting, uh, more, more, not more intense vocals because chain, the chain vocals are pretty intense, but like, you know, he puts more, more throat into it. You know, it's more of a scream than, than the chain style. Uh, and it just makes it maybe a little bit more, uh, more modern, uh, along with the, you know, the recording and and just how how beefy some of the stuff sounds. They also do. They they and in my eyes both are bands and and time flies to an extent too. They're both bands that do the 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 um the octave thing tastefully. You know they don't they don't take the Atari approach where they they take it and run it into the ground, but they they do it to create memorable moments within the song that gets stuck in your head. And like, you know, some of these count me out songs, even off this, uh, um, what's this record called, uh, far between. No, the seven inch. Um, I thought it was called few and far between. No, I don't know. Anyways, uh, <laughs> what we built through time, like that song, like I, used to play that lead all the time like in sound check and I still do like when when change is setting up I'll play it. like it's so catchy and I love it yeah killer seven inch on like the worst like record label name crap chord <laughs> like, <what>? from Europe <laughs> crap chord okay <laughs> but the other ones on malfunction hell yeah um, ben, what do you have on these bands? Uh, count me out. The CD version of of the EP was on Ambassador, and that's what, I, what when I first heard them was from that thing. And um, I to this day, I think that's the best stuff. I think because One Ten is really well recorded, but he's he's pushing his voice to the point where it's starting to sound monotone, like kind no. of take that back. Well, do you know what I mean? That he's pushing his voice harder on that on the first LP than on the EP. You you can hear that though, right? Like his voice doesn't sure. sound exactly the same. Yeah, I kind of like. I can hear that you're making false statements against the, one of the most perfect hardcore records of all time. Well, I'm I'm trying to <laughs> I'm trying to make objective statements and then just say my in my opinion my my personal taste I prefer the EP. <laughs> but um, yeah, it doesn't get uh for this particular kind of chain of strengthy wing of of this style of music it doesn't get much better than than count me out um time flies a pretty good band um 
I saw them play at the Chain Reaction, and the singer had a cordless mic, and it kept going out, and he kept on hitting the the box that connects the cordless mic to the to the PA to try to get it to work again. It was like enough already. Just use a regular mic. <laughs> Quit trying to be John Coyle. But uh, count me out. Uh, the, I remember the guitar players shaved their legs. <laughs> my my friend was a, a an avid bicyclist. And he went up to one of them, and he wasn't—he wasn't clowning them or anything. He was just like, "Do you guys, do you guys ride bikes? I, I noticed you shave your legs." And they were like, "Yeah." And at, to this day, I don't know if they just said that to kind of be like, "Get away from me." No, they—they they do. They're oh, they do. Okay, cyclists yeah. like uh, yeah. Kurt and Pete. And um, what was the third band we were talking about here? Count me out. Time flies. Is that it? That's it. I was just saying that oh, EMI is in carry on also bridge into the 2000s. Right, right, right. Yep. That's pretty much it. Yeah. We've, we've talked about the count me out records a ton on this pod. I, I do sometimes wonder if count me out being so epic kind of overshadows time flies. Like if, if count me out doesn't come around, mm-hmm. does time flies get a little more rub? Um, cause oh, time flies was way bigger at the time. Okay. I feel, uh, count me out grew into people loving them uh first time they came out here very small uh reactions but time flies was was a was a more popular band of the two because they had the lp out first um but then count me out you know the cream rises to the top they're the best yeah and and time flies also had the classic high five stage dive Right, high five yeah. stage dives. So mm-hmm. that's kind of clever. They had another weird. There was another weird thing that that um, um, Time Flies did. They had a tour poster that was two of the members of the band. Um, they have their penises um, in the shape of an X, like they're yeah. Xing. Like you remember that? Like they're holding yeah. their own dicks to make it look like the shape to make it look like an X. And I thought it was kind of like lock, you know, like locker room antics style. But I was trying to explain that to someone the other day on the internet, and I looked for the image. Of course, I couldn't find the image online. But I was like, "You got to believe me. This really, this really existed." <laughs> well, well let's, let's go through the terms that you entered into Google. What was your? What, <laughs> <laughs> how were you searching for this? <laughs> time, time flies. Tour poster. Penis. I don't know what I did. Penis. I wrote. Penis. Lemonparty.org. All right. X lemon party X. All right. Let's let's wrap this up. Uh Daniel, anything else to say about Youth Crew in the 90s? It was a a really cool time to be going to shows. Um a lot of energy, a lot of uh excitement and a lot of people actively trying to be positive and look on the bright side of life and look on the what can I do to participate in the scene and things like that where um you know I think it's had a really good residual effect with with a lot of people made them love hardcore again you know some people may have been waning and it it re-energized them and made them love hardcore again Chris anything else you want to say on this um, I mean, this, this era is hugely influential 
to me um, and, and the style of music that I, you know, still play to this day. In retrospect, um, you know, I I wish that there were there was more of an effort across the board to be a little bit more inclusive, uh, particularly to women. Like, you know, we named a bunch of bands and I don't know, you know, maybe there's, you count them on one hand, how many had women or girls in the band. Um, so maybe it was a little bit bro-y. Uh, yeah, I don't think any that we've mentioned. Yeah, I can't think of one. But um, as far as musical style and and just kind of bringing back that the energy, you know, I, I mentioned this a little bit earlier. Like, not all these bands were good or or great, but like there was the energy that made it hardcore, and and that's what I loved about it. All right, Ben. Um, when I was thirteen, I bought um, Break Down the Walls on cassette and that was 1991 and I just wanted to see a band like that and and participate in something like that and I waited probably longer than anyone else because I completely missed that era by months uh I, I waited longer than anyone else for this shit to come back and when it came back um when it really didn't hit the west coast until 97ish like when you could really see like 10 yard fight uh, and battery coming out here and doing those shows. And I just remember that the first note of, of 10 yard fight playing at the showcase theater in 97 and how it just was like an explosion. And it was like, finally, like we've arrived, like, this is what I've been, this is what I've been waiting for since I got that youth today cassette in 91 over at shattered music on La Brea and sixth street. And like, I think a lot about like, did we, was this like, was there an, um, a civil war reenactment component to this? Were we trying too hard to live in the past and try to kind of like crystallize 1988? And a lot of us weren't even around um, in the scene and back then. Like my, I was 10 in 1988. I wasn't going to shows. Like, or were we just, were we, was it all for not? Was it kind of a waste of time for us to like, focus so hard on like one little you know micro genre um and ultimately i think no it wasn't a waste of time because we were playing the music we loved and and uh you know all these bands we just named like have been they are now a part of that history that the 80s bands are a part of like it if you're an 18 year old kid now, you were born in 2002. You weren't even alive in the 80s or the 90s. What goddamn difference does it make if you were a first generation or a second generation youth group band? Like, you know, these bands had their had their moment and they made their impact, just like the bands that they were trying to emulate. So, so it wasn't. I don't think it was kind of a, a waste of time, after all. I, I don't think we. I, I think there there might be too much of a pressure for people to kind of feel like they need to be modern and do what do what's cool now and what's happening now and, and kind of be progressive. And I don't mean progressive, like politically, I mean like musically progressive. And, and I, I, I don't adhere to that. It's like, just do what you want. If you want to play youth crew, fucking do it. Just do it. Well, that's all. Yeah. I, I would say that I, like none of our bands, you know, the four of us, none of us 
cloned this stuff, though. And that's kind of why you we can't think of examples of, like, West Coast, like, clone youth crew. Like, there's no, like, third-rate stuff out here, right? Because you, it, it's just we got to put our own twist on it, you know? Like, Ben Fields of Fire might have been had its toes in that stuff, but it was different, right? And my bands have never been clones of this stuff. And and Chris with Champion, like, it's more than that as well. And Over My Dead Body is more than that, right? So, like, I think that... Totally. I think that we were all able to, like, pull the best out of this out. Like, and we love it, you know? Like, it it is so important. And, you know, I talked on it earlier in the pod that this stuff brought, like, fast back into, like, that, the straightforward, like, hardcoreness. And it never went away again. And so, like, is that the winning legacy? Maybe, you know, that, like, it never, like, the the zeitgeist never went back straight to, like, the slow-trotting bad metal, you know? But I don't know. Right. I don't know. The the, the thing that um, you just touched on that that's uh, interesting is, like, we weren't acolytes of one style only where some of these bands that they set out to do this, uh, that's what hardcore is for them. It only is this style. Do you know what I mean? Um, so it was important to do that. And also, yeah, it was a trend after a few of the good bands did it, it fully became like a trend, just like, AN core became a trend for three or four years after American Nightmare came out, you know? Um, the one thing that it does have as a, as a legacy is it, it's referred to as an era in hardcore. Like it is an important signpost on the, you know, genealogy of hardcore punk in America. It is a, a definite big, point of time that cannot be ignored and then and not just in america like obviously in europe but i think that's uh an important thing that it, it made an impact across the country and across the world but uh in what european countries specifically daniel because I, I just <laughs> i think it's fun to like paint with a broad brush all right. I also wanted to say, 1999, that grudge match, seven inch fucking rules. So look for that, guys. And uh, hope you enjoyed well, the episode. Na- what? 1999, uh, in control demo comes out. Oh, but yeah. that's that's for another pod. That is for no more pods. Uh, thanks for, for listening, everyone. Pod. <laughs>